welcome to SkyCast episode 16, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 2, Red Queen. Oh my god, this was such a good episode. (laughs) I am still stunned at how good this episode was. I mean... I was a little bit worried when I heard that it was just going to be the bunker crew because I think that was the storyline I was probably least excited to see. Same. Um, but this whole episode, like once we finished, it became very clear why they needed to have an entire episode that explained the backstory and, and the origin story, really, of the bunker that we saw at the end of episode one. Um, and they executed it beautifully. Executed, no pun intended. Ha ha. bum But I'm. yeah I have to say that I don't want to it wasn't that I was dreading this episode no it's just that I had really low expectations for my overall enjoyment of this because I'm just a little bit it kind of felt like we've already seen this play out a few times um but I have to say that this was startling how interesting and intricate and wonderful and thoroughly satisfying um, of an episode this was. I, I must have said that 600 times this week. I mean, when you say that this was something that, you know, we've seen before, I think that's a good discussion point to bring up because, you know, the show is not about bringing up new topics. It very much centers around the same topics. It's always survival. But the interesting thing is, the show will bring in new characters to kind of react to that same topic and and seeing what choices they make and and how it kind of evolves from there is why this show is so great. Right, and I think we just needed a little reminder that even though this is this theme of survival and um, revolt and, you know, governing and all of that is something that we've enjoyed and gone through with these people many, many times before that there is always another way of looking at it and there's always something new to do here and that's why the writers have these jobs and <laughs> it just was a really, really good reminder to me that why we love this show so much. Yeah, it was it was an amazing I episode. am so ready for the rest of this season. I am pumped. <laughs> Absolutely, and I mean, I'm excited too because people are saying that like next episode is where the real season starts. Right. Like these last two episodes were kind of set, backstory, which set, is clear. Or to quote Jason is to like he it was like setting the field yeah and now we're gonna Um, the game is about to start so I'm ready (laughs) (laughs) um before we dive into the recap quick reminder again we'd love for you guys to go onto iTunes and rate and review us it helps other fans of the hundred find us so please go rate review leave us comments if you have something that you'd like to say to us or disagree with us about we would love to hear from you so please and thank you go 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 yay Alrighty, and with that let's let's jump jump in in. (laughs) So we open up, it is 46 days after Prime Fire, and it looks like the bunker hasn't self-imploded yet. (laughs) Yet being the operative word. Uh, Octavia and Miller sparring, and Octavia is kicking Miller's butt uh, when Indra comes in to get Octavia for the delegation. Octavia doesn't want to wear the commander's gear, but Indra says it will make people connect with her easier, which in turn will make it easier for her to leave. So before we really get into the, the meat of this scene, I just love that Octavia and Miller are kind of having a little bit of a friendship here. Yeah, it's really cute. It's a pairing that we've never seen before. And I mean, I'm jumping way ahead here, but at the end of the episode, it's clear that Miller is kind of part of her inner circle. Um, so I, I, I really liked that that new pairing. And I'm, I'm curious to see how Miller will support Octavia going forward. Yeah, it's also nice to see Octavia relate to people 
from Sky Crew at all. She's been really resistant to sort of forming friendships with people from the Sky. And this was just like a really nice thing to see. I also set the stage for, again, what you were saying, when he is standing by her later, there's some context for that, which is yes. nice. Yeah. So love their sparring. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm also curious, you know, Octavia won the conclave. She came down here. She made that big speech at the end of um, season four, like we're the the last humans on Earth. Probably not, but let's be real. <laughs> um, but at this point, she does not seem like she has any interest in leading, which is interesting to me. Not that not that she wanted to lead before, but I thought that she would have settled into her role a little bit more. But it's clear that she's not settling in (laughs) let's just say that yeah I think she's really frustrated um with the circumstances that have put her here and I I think she's really uncomfortable in this position and she doesn't quite know how to navigate this position um without any clear way of moving forward I think that there's been a lot of different leadership role models for her but she doesn't I don't think she's gravitated toward any of them I think she like openly resents most of the way of government that she's seen in her life oh, including yeah. you know sky crew and grounders and everything in between um i think she doesn't know her way forward um which is why when jaha starts mentoring her in this episode i think she sees a path even if she didn't re- originally feel like that was the way she was going to go mm-hmm. finally she has something uh, an example a prototype t- precedence to to follow and i i think right now she's sort of treading water because she doesn't have a clear way of going forward yeah, I totally agree. I, I was a little confused. You know, Octavia sees the world very much in black and white, and she always has. Um, and so I kind of wondered, what did she actually think was going to happen when she was in the bunker? Did she think that her telling the Grounders and Sky Crew that they were all, you know, quote-unquote one crew, did she think that that was going to make them one crew immediately? I, I, I'm not sure why she hasn't really thought more about this. And I guess I guess I'm answering my own question here. She just has no interest in it. She doesn't want to be the person who unites them. She didn't really have a choice before, and she is now stuck in this role that she doesn't want. Exactly, and I think that, um, I think a little bit part of her actually did think that her, like, the ceremonial sort of aspect of her winning the, help me out. The conclave. The conclave, um, and then, you know, sort of uniting them would have given her enough clout to move forward with everybody just sort of being okay and that's just like an unrealistic expectation for this many people or maybe she thought you know just being the leader being declared the leader means people would follow her like she she never really saw much of how like lexa um or even roan led um and she didn't kind of see the I guess she did in in season four a little bit see how hard it was to kind of unite people who didn't necessarily want to be united yeah um but I guess maybe she just thought it would be It's easier. just limited experience yeah. versus all of these other people who have had much more experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about in this scene is this conversation about symbols that Indra brings up. Um, and I think it's really inter- interesting that, whooped, you know, the the idea of a symbol to Indra is this very, like, physical, tangible object. Um, but that's not the only kind of symbol that we can you know talk about and that is present in this episode a lot there's a lot of symbolic gestures that come up here and so it's really interesting that that Indra has this very sort of literal interpretation of the word where I think Octavia and Gaia come to understand that there is there are gestures that can be just as symbolic as you know pieces of of items or 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 um 
you know, things that have significant importance to the group. So yeah, I thought that was really cool. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on Octavia's side, though. I am so done with the commander's gear. Let's move forward. I thought we were moving forward last season, as Octavia did as well. Um, but nope, we are still in the, like, commander's chair in a way. Um, and what's interesting is I think Indra has already moved past that. I think she sees Octavia as something completely different. Um, and and she, she knows that the time of the commanders is over, as she said last season. Um, but she also knows that not everyone has progressed as far right. as she has not everyone is as progressive as indra so she's like you basically have to fake it until you make it right um but i still i'm i'm, I'm ready for that thing to go away and it will it will at the end of this episode <laughs> this is the last episode uh there's one more thing i wanted to point out in this scene octavia says my blood is red and always will be and this was a line that was in like we like talked about in the uh the trailer that weird promotional video they made which is kind of grown on me but it's still really weird I know I still don't think I don't like it <laughs> um but I just think this is some really interesting foreshadowing about where this season's going to go in terms of night-blood leaders versus red-blooded leaders um mm. as we see at the end of this episode Octavia has clearly become a, a leader in her own right but her blood is red as she said um she cannot take the the flame uh, and, and, and she, you know, I don't think wants to take the flame. Like she's saying, I, I want to keep my blood red. Um, so is there going to be any tension between the night bloods and the, the red bloods, um, <laughs> so to speak? You know, I, I'm, I'm very curious if Maddie's going to have a really central storyline here and I can go either one of two ways. I could go Octavia kind of wanting her to take the flame and just like, here, you please lead. I'm done. I'm tired. I just want to go like spar with Nyla. Um, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, or it could also be Octavia wants to continue leading, but once people find out that there's another Nightblood out there, you know, maybe Gaia starts thinking, oh, like this is the spirit of the commanders telling me that there's a new commander approaching. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of stuff to unpack this season yeah. with the night bloods and the red bloods, <laughs> with the red queen. Uh, and I did like that this little my blood is red and always will be was like a cute little foreshadowing for this episode yeah. specifically. I mean, we're, it's, it's setting up the central conflict immediately. My blood is red and everyone else's blood that will be covering me is, is also, also red. red. <laughs> Uh, so moving on, Octavia passes Nyla in the hall, and Nyla gives Octavia a copy of Ovid's Metamorphosis, as she knows Bellamy used to read to Octavia at the parts about ancient Rome. Octavia thanks her and makes her promise that Nyla will spar with her tomorrow. So, <laughs> guys, <laughs> I, I'm going to admit, before this season started, I'd kind of gotten off the shipping train for Nyla and Octavia. Um, if you listened to us last season, you'll know that I was a huge fan of that ship. <laughs> um, but as I heard more about Octavia's role this season and where she was going and kind of the darkness that would be in her, I, I started thinking, like, maybe you should stay away from my beautiful Nyla. But I'll tell you <laughs> what, guys. This episode rekindled that chip so hard for me. Yeah. I was so into it. There's a lot of moments coming up where it, it feels like the show is pointing to them as a pairing. I mean, I thought that before for other couples, and it didn't ever happen or hasn't yet. True. Um, But it was like... There was just... There was a lot of there subtext. There was a lot of subtext. And I'm also really curious. Um, has Octavia been talking to Nyla about uh, Bellamy reading her, you know, the, the ancient Rome parts? Or 
did, did Clark yeah, <laughs> tell I, Nyla that? I'm confused, too. I, I feel like I don't know why Clark would have ever brought this up. Yeah, unless she just talks about Bellamy in bed. You know? <laughs> like, I feel really bad for Nyla if she used to talk about Bellamy while they were in bed. But I also, it could very well be that Octavia and Nyla have this friendship. It seems like they do. They're, they have plans to spar yeah. tomorrow. Um, so maybe over the last, you know, 50 days or so, they've they've come to really mutually respect each other and get along. And they've been sort of bantering on and off. And I, I'm... I'm guessing that, that Bellamy has come up once or twice. So. I'm, I'm going to go with this. And I also, I wanted to say, again, this is kind of along the lines of shipping, but not really. I just, I think that Nyla brings out such a beautiful side of Octavia. She, Octavia is so much softer when she talks to Nyla. Definitely. Um, and it, it, it makes me like her more, <laughs> which is terrible to say, but it does. I like watching her with Nyla. I like Octavia all the same I do really like and enjoy Octavia but I I am very interested in the way her body language and language um change when she's with Nyla mm-hmm. and I think you're right that Nyla just being like the beautiful pure soul that she is brings out the softer more vulnerable parts of Octavia that she keeps hidden away most of the time and it is really interesting and refreshing to see Octavia interact like that because we never really get to see it yeah um so this Let's talk about this Ovid Metamorphoses book for a second because there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. This is a big, talking about symbols, this is a whopping one. Big ass book. Um, <laughs> it's a big ass book full of big ass symbols. Um, so the first and foremost is this is just a really cute callback to when Gina gave Bellamy, you know, the Iliad. Um, all of the the um, Blake friends give them you know, historical books. Blake, about romantic friends. That's how you flirt with a Blake. Yeah, that is how you flirt with a Blake. You give them the Iliad or, or um, Metamorphoses and, you know, it like makes them crazy. <laughs> um, but I also wanted to talk about how this is a clear historical reference to Rome and Ovid um, wrote this book in the time of Augustus, whose sister, oddly enough, is named Octavia. So that's <laughs> a cute little piece of it, trivia, which I think is just such a beautiful little coincidence there or is it um and then the last thing about this is of course we need to talk about the whole idea of metamorphosis and how that ties into Octavia and her arc and the fact that every season we have seen a new iteration or transformation from her and all the way back in season one um you know it was really cute when she was like wandering around the forest looking at like glowing butterflies and they didn't it felt like they didn't really know what they were doing with her character yet but I do think that the butterfly symbol is always going to be associated with Octavia and the butterfly goes through a metamorphosis itself and undergoes a lot of different transitions and evolutions so I think it's just a beautiful you know circle of of themes that we see here and the show is very clearly pointing to that and how Octavia is right about to burst out of her cocoon into a new evolution and spread her butterfly wings here yeah the uh the butterfly illusion comparison to octavia is not subtle no at all um i kind of tying into what you said i really love the historical like historical show historical context of this book just because you know it calls back to you know octavia was named octavia because bellamy was obsessed with ancient Rome and, and all of their um, right it's like in in context mm-hmm. like illusion and and this line that she reads at the beginning I intend to speak of forms changed into new entities it, this line and this book it is all so 
on points with where Octavia has been, where she's going, how she's changed. Um, it's just a really beautiful tie-in for this show and it's I'm very impressed there's like so many callbacks here and there's also so many levels to this I mean that I mean this is just like a perfect showcase of how brilliant the writers are where they can just find one thing to have all of these complex meanings for a character and it's just brilliant I mean there's no other word for it this is just brilliant writing absolutely uh, so let's keep going. Uh, Gaia is waiting outside the rotunda, and Octavia doesn't want to deal with her complaints. Indra wants Gaia to throw her support behind Octavia, as she worries that old animosities are about to boil over. Having Gaia's support would help solidify Octavia's rule, but Gaia says the Order of the Flame will never support a, re a red-blooded commander, even though, as Indra reminds her, the red-blooded commander saved the life of everyone in this bunker when the real commanders would have let them burn. Never say never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm really glad they went the route of the clans not immediately taking to one crew, because I think we talked last season about how hard and, and po impossible, really, yeah. it would be to unite all of these clans. Um, you know, we saw the the trouble that Lexa had with even keeping people in line um, and, and having them all squished together in one bunker and saying, OK, you're all now one people. Get along. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna turn out well, and especially especially when they find out that there's you know no way out. Um, that is is basically maybe a death sentence unless things occur like this episode <laughs> where uh, they can find a way to deal. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that w is is um, foolish to the point of r ridiculous <laughs> to think that this would have worked out. But what else perfectly. could they have done? I mean, no. I we'll talk a little bit about, yeah. more about that later. But I I do think that. It would have been absurd if they had just all gotten along hunky-dory. That would have never worked. Um, I also did quickly want to touch on the differences between Indra and Gaia. And this is something we'll continue to talk about for the rest of this episode. But this is really the first point where you can see how different they approach um, situations and people. Because you can see here that Indra has moved on, you know, the flame order of the flame is done we have a new person in charge we've got a new situation the old ways are over and she's very pragmatic and she's very practical and she's ready to move forward with with all of her logical wisdom that she has possessed in her arsenal and then you have Gaia who's her daughter with equal determination determination but in the complete opposite direction where everything about her um is fanatical you know she has this religion that she is devoted to and it is amazing to me that these are two women of color on this show who are both so brilliantly drawn and have you know you can see that they're related they they have similar personality you know t mm -hmm. traits but they're just expressed in very different ways um and it's it's again beautiful writing and, I, and it's a really interesting dichotomy that will continue to go along throughout the rest of the episode yeah, I think in many ways, you know, you look at um, Indra, and Indra's a warrior, and her entire way of being is like, keep my people alive, save my people, fight for my people. Gaia is um, a religious novitiate, and she is centered around keeping the traditions and saving the traditions. And those are, at this point in time, two warring things. Right, they're the conflicting. traditions are not going to keep us alive anymore. And so I like seeing that push and pull between them. Totally. Octavia's trying to meditate issues between the clans, even though she keeps reiterating that there are no clans anymore, just one crew. 
The old clans, however, are not so quick to get behind that. They're also not accepting of Octavia's modes of punishment, like returning stolen towels instead of stoning the thief to death, <laughs> which goes against all of Grounder's rules and traditions. In the middle of the discussion, everyone suddenly hears thumping coming from above, outside the bunker. Um, so I really did like this kind of new and quote-unquote improved coalition they have here, um, a member from each clan, including Sky Crew. Um, but I, 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 I do think that in this situation, this wouldn't work out for long. But it is nice that they're trying to find a new form of justice where the punishment actually fits the crime. Because for both Sky Crew and for Grounders, their forms of punishment often way, way outweighed the actual crime. Yeah, they were extreme. It yeah. was like an eye for like your entire body, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And again, um, how we, we sort of just like touched on this briefly before, but this system is actually designed to fail, right? Because as Octavia says, we are one crew. We're, you know, there's no such thing as the clans. And yet you have a, a delegation here where every single clan is being represented by someone which is in itself a reminder of all of the separateness that exists so inherently this is a flawed system it will never be a unifying force because you have separation built into it um so it's designed to fail i i I see that this is the most logical step and and the most logical form of governing from these two entities that existed before and I'm not faulting them for this but it is clear where where the cracks that they're, they're showing already I'm trying to decide what they would do and one thing I could think would be interesting would be to hold an election for like 13 or however many people but say that you can't vote for someone who was from your clan you'd have to vote for someone else and and kind of see where that takes people and would that kind of allow them to form other relationships outside of their own people Maybe. I don't know. I don't I feel, know. I feel, like, I feel like that would there would be like a lot of opportunity for voter fraud and like well, bribery, yeah. bribery <laughs> and you know threats. Yeah, I don't see them being peaceful enough to like entertain the idea of a democratic voting system. No, I think some of them could be. I oh, mean, I agree. I think, but know. I, you know, it ta- it only takes one. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So um, it's also interesting to note at this point, like we've talked about before, Octavia is clearly uninterested in governing. Um, and I, I'm trying to decide, is this because she doesn't think she can do it? Like she's not capable of doing it and she doesn't want to let any everyone down? Or she's just like generally displeased at finding herself in these circumstances um, and she's like really not into it? Or is this both? I mean, my way of thinking for Octavia is I think she doesn't want to do it like she thinks of herself as we hear later a fighter a warrior she wants to train she wants to fight she doesn't want to lead I think leading is a very political thing for her and she just wants the the military side of it um unfortunately Octavia you get what you get you you won the conclave you are now the leader and and she does know this she's like I know I have to do this she but I don't think like she it. has any interest in, in yeah. doing it. Yeah, it's also interesting that, you know, for, for all of the leaders that she's come across in her life, has there been any that she truly respects? I think she's also a little worried that if she becomes a leader, she's not going to like herself. That's she true. doesn't like any leaders. I think she might have respected Lexa in a way. She didn't know Lexa. Yeah. Um, she didn't know Roan. So maybe there was like a little bit there. Um, but those are both grounder leaders. And, and, and she... I think is trying to kind of start a new path, but she doesn't have a strong vision for where that will go. So that's ultimately doomed to fail. Um, 
I, I just think she's not putting her whole heart behind this because if she if she was I mean she does later yeah but even if she was now maybe things would be different you I know? agree when, I feel like her apathy sort of leads to this general discontent and frustration yeah well her apathy makes everyone else apathetic as well like right. when the um and it the leads- guy who one of the guys or the girls who um, had their towels stolen she was like just give it back right they they were so unsatisfied by that answer and so unsatisfied by her flippancy at that answer mm-hmm. um yeah it's causing frustrations and problems and so you already have this tension boiling and then the events that we see later in this episode bring that to a boiling level and it's interesting to think about you know if she had just been like a little bit more concerned a little bit more active in this role would people have been less eager to to be as you know violent as they become later yeah um just one more note in this scene octavia's new title is oslea oslea um which means champion instead of commander which i thought was an interesting title like uh, Indra's dressing her as the commander but they're not calling her the commander mm-hmm. um also it was originally supposed to be Yontslea I think that they changed that I don't know when they changed that um but the original language was Yontslea so I'm not really sure why that was um modified but but I think Oslea is easier to say so. I think Oslea is easier to say and I also think it's really interesting that like they're calling her champion because that's like her name right that's what she is she's yeah, the, she champion is the champion from the conclave so she she is acting like the commander, but she isn't the commander. She's the champion, which is like a really interesting like language yeah. like trick that they're showing here. So Abby and Kane are putting on radiation suits in preparation to open the bunker hatch, and it's clear that things are not okay in Cabby Land. Uh, Abby hasn't spoken to Kane in a month, but she is willing to join up with him now to rescue Clark, who she knows is the one outside. Kane tries to lower her expectations by speaking to her like she's a child, but Abby is having absolutely none of it. Only a nightblood could be alive out there, and the only nightblood who knows where they are is Clark. So... Abby is very much not over Kane taking away her agency at the end of last season, um, which is good. I'm really glad that they have played up on that um, rift between them. Yeah, I'm glad that they saw this all the way through and they didn't just brush it under the rug. It should not have been brushed under the rug. No, and it's clear that this is going to be kind of an ongoing theme. Even though we skip six years, I have a good feeling that things are still not okay in Cabby Land six years later, but we'll see. Um... I also wanted to say that this scene, it was one of the ones they released early, and it irritated me from the beginning, and it has irritated me every time I've seen it since. Um, I don't like the way Kane is talking to Abby. No. He is mansplaining their situation to her, and, and it's just, it's absurd. Like, Abby knows. She knows the reality of their situation. She knows how unrealistic it would be that Clark would be out there, but she also knows that, like, who else could it be, you know? Totally. And there's, like, actually two points of mansplaining in this scene because that's the first one. The second one is when Abby is climbing up the ladder and she's trying to open the bunker, well, even before she starts to open the bunker door, and Kane is like, oh, be careful. We haven't opened the door since since we've closed it. And she, I mean, like, obviously. She's yeah. not an idiot. And I know that this was exposition for the point of, like, reiterating that to the audience because, like, in this moment, Kane is speaking to the audience and Abby is our surrogate. I totally understand, like, the logistics of running a TV show and I get that. But I feel like if they had reversed it and if Abby had been, like, Kane, like, 
we haven't opened the door, like, be careful, I would feel less irritated about it because mansplaining and his condescension is, like, part of his character background. Yeah. And so it, like, is compounded by that, and I it's just irritating to me. It does feel very in character for him. As much as I love Kane, he does have that kind of air that he... He's a little arrogant. He is very arrogant, and he does think that he knows everything. And, you know, we got into it a little bit last season. He has some, like lofty ideals that are not realistic like that's that's really just part of him right um but this scene in particular just rubbed me the wrong yeah way. it left a bad taste in my mouth too and I was glad that Abby wasn't letting him have any of it yeah so even if you know it's irritating from him I'm glad they put it in there just so that we could see Abby shoot him down yeah I also really I wanted to point out this part where Abby says thank you I don't need you to protect me from myself um because it's interesting because she actually does. <laughs> this is the one point in this scene where Kane has the the upper ground here. Um, we can see that there is tension here, but this is also foreshadowing something that we learned later on in this episode that Abby is self-medicating. And so she, I think, you know, this sort of alludes to there is something, there is something a little bit wrong from Abby, and she, she does need him to protect her from herself because she was going to ultimately sacrifice herself. You know, whether she was right in that or wrong, she does need protection, um, and she's self-harming at this point, and Kane will need to, to step in and protect her from that. Ultimately, everything should always be her choice, and you should never take away someone's agency, but was an interesting turn of phrase um, because of what it alludes to later on in the episode. I see your point, but I'm going to disagree just a little bit. I don't think Abby needs Kane to protect her. I think that that will always be irritating to any woman, most women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, she doesn't want him to protect her. I think what she wants is for him to, like, listen to her and understand and and help her process. But protecting is not really the right word I would use because that's kind of – you know, forcing your will on another person for their own good versus, like, helping them – come to terms with their own problems yeah I think the word I think you're right I think we could take issue with the word protection but I think the the underlying inclination is, yeah. is the same that she she does need help she needs counseling she needs help but actually what she really needs is counseling from a completely impartial source objectivity um, yeah which we don't really have one except Nyla everyone should talk to Nyla <laughs> I agree make Nyla therapist Nyla should be the therapist Dr. Nyla grounder (laughs) (laughs) dr nyla do we know a last name for nyla no oh okay well go with dr nyla i like it okay i'm I'm down for this headcanon okay i like it um abby tries to open the door but there's something wrong it won't open abby won't give in though and she screams for clark but it quickly becomes clear that the building has collapsed above them clark is not getting in and the people in the bunker are not getting out i think it's really interesting i mean first and foremost abby's face i mean she is devastated um so devastated that she's not going to be able to to spend the next five years with Clark even though that was never really a possibility to begin with I think this like momentary idea of having Clark be with her was so hopeful and real she could like taste it and then to just have it snatched away from her on while she's already grappling with all of these sort of like mental health problems it was just just 
painful. <laughs> um, but it is interesting to see that Abby's first reaction is to think about the fact that Clark can't get in, while Kane's reaction, like his first in instinct, is to think that they're all stuck in there. And those are very two different ideas, and you can it kind of shows where each of them are. They're very in a very different headspace. Yeah, I, I mean, Abby's mom. And, and I really do think that Clark being a mom this season is going to put her much in that, like, oh, my child first, screw everyone else kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas Kane is not a dad. I mean, you know, he has, a, he has some, like, surrogate <laughs> kids. But, but Kane is very much on that kind of, like, higher level um, plane of thinking. Totally. Um, idealistic plane of thinking. And, and he's looking at the bigger picture and what this means for them as a collective, not any one specific person. Yeah. Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with either one. No, no. Um, they're I just think, very different mindsets. Yeah. I, I like the way that this kind of shows where they're different places. Um, I also wanted to bring up, you know, we last season, we or last episode, we saw Clark when the, the thing, when the... Um, thing caved in what's the thing i'm looking for the tower <laughs> the, caved in yeah. uh we weren't sure if it the the bunker door was already buried at that point in time or if the cave-in is actually what trapped them in there and i'm still not sure i feel like the editing here leads me to believe that the cave-in happened after they couldn't get out um i'm not sure i know the editing is confusing and and the way that it's you know sort of spliced together makes it look like there, the cave-in happened, you know, after Abby was, like, trying to get out of the bunker. But I think it's interesting that in an episode that is almost entirely of the bunker, that we get that sort of outside shot of Clark, you know, scooting back. And I think that it's – I don't know why they would include that shot if it wasn't significant that she was the one who caused the cave-in. It was a it – was it was a – it felt like a significant choice to include there, and I just can't think of any other reason why it would be added. I one thing I do want to say just thinking about this super logically if they could hear Clark banging down at them all the way from at the bottom of the rotunda I'm not sure where Clark was at the time when Abby was like banging on the door or like trying to open the door it should have been like you know right there Clark should have heard her unless that was already happening when the cave-in was happening yeah. um so I guess I will be on your side again and think that Clark did cause the cave-in. I cave think in. she did. Or, I mean, was, I know she caused the cave-in, but that Clark did, you know, trap bury them, them trap them. Yeah, I think she did. It just was not quite clear from the editing, but yeah. I, I feel like that's what they were trying to convey. And it really was. It added an extra level of devastation to learn that Abby was right there when Clark was trying to get in and the cave-in was happening. Like, they were, like, close enough to touch, but they just couldn't right. get to they each other. They were on each side of the door. You know, <sighs> it's just too juicy to pass up. I, I just don't. I just don't feel like the writers would, would <laughs> do that on accident. <laughs> you know it's, what I mean? It's like, just, it just seems like a little bit too much on the point. It breaks my heart. I know. It's really <laughs> devastating. Abby's face, it was just torture to watch her <laughs> crumble. So, pun intended. Yeah. I got that, but I'm sh <laughs> uh, Lots of puns. As Octavia and her counsel are discussing what to do about being trapped in the bunker, we meet Kara Cooper, who is already both really intriguing and really terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, Cooper runs the hydroponic farm, and she says the farm won't support everyone in the bunker for more than five years. Kane tries to propose an alternate plan of escape, but Jaha, who has studied the bunker inside and out before taking it for Sky Crew last season, knows that there is no way out. And even if there was, they don't have the tools to get out. Before we get into this and what it all means, can I just ask, 
is everybody from farm station a pain in the ass like is that like a is that like a requirement I'm really glad you brought this up because as we all know Pike was from uh farm station Monty's mom was from farm station and they were prickly characters um but again they had it probably the worst out of everyone they landed right in the middle of um as Gata land yeah um and they had to basically fight from the moment they got to the earth um, so I think that that really twisted a lot of people and and kind of shifted some of their priorities and, and their ways of thinking. Um, and it's clear here that, you know, Cooper has that same coldness that Pike had um, and that Monty's mom had. In fact, Monty is the only one we've met so far that I really like. Oh, you know who else is from Farm Station? Oh. Riley. I was just going to say that. Is Riley from Farm Station? So really everyone is except, a pain in the except ass. Monty was a pain in the ass. I also feel like it might be something, and I'm just totally speculating here. I don't have any context or text evidence to support this, but just, you know, spinning off of, off of this conversation, do you think that it could be that because they run Farm Station and because they're in charge of the food that they have like a, a little bit sense of self-importance oh they like value themselves a little bit higher than everyone else it gives them like a an elevated sense of importance and value I just like I feel like that kind of plays into it because they are in charge of the food and the food is like the most critical resource they have I think looking at it um like farmers nowadays or maybe farmers like a hundred years ago. ago it's like maybe very much like a salt of the earth like working class but like our work is the most important and yet we're not recognized like other people are recognized for their work right um so maybe there is like a little bit of resentment there um and a little bit of you know we could support ourselves whereas other people right and it's like don't know how all of these like bodies of government are making these decisions that affect us and yet we don't have a voice in them mm-hmm which we come to see, they they certainly make themselves heard. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I also liked seeing Sky Crew's resentment of Octavia here early on. You know, as, as Cooper says, this bunker wasn't yours to give. Jaha found it. It belonged to us. You had no right. Um, I, I don't really think I stopped too much to consider how Sky Crew must feel about Octavia. Yeah. Um, I just didn't really think about it. But, you know, when you think about it for like a brief second, it's like, they must hate her. Yeah. Because half of them lost family members in this second calling. Um, and it's, in in their eyes, I'm sure, her fault. And I, I can't really blame them. No. Um, because I do, I mean, it's hard to get into what is fair and what is just when it's the end of the world. Um, but Jaha is the one who found the bunker. And he found it for Sky Crew and Octavia and the rest of the grounders kind of commandeered it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nautical term. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Sorry, guys. I will insert Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> commentary at any minute. Completely non sequitur there. Um, Derailed conversation. But I, 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 I understand why they're angry. And I think I'd probably be furious, too. Oh, if I were in their position, I would be furious. But that's why this show works so well, is because everyone can be right from their own point of view. Mm-hmm. And yet none of them can agree another note here cooper lost both her father and husband um one at the calling of the ark and one on the second calling in the bunker does that help us sympathize a bit more with her pov and 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 understand a little bit more why she does what she does later on i don't i don't think it makes me sympathize with her anymore i feel like we have all and by we everyone on this show has lost people and have struggled and have had to make sacrifices and watch people they love die um 
I completely recognize what that would do to a person and I, I don't fault anyone for the way that that transforms them as a human being but does it make me empathize with her no it doesn't <laughs> not for me <laughs> I don't know about you um it does make me empathize with her a little bit I know that she's done the calculations they're going to starve after five years if everyone is, is still around um and she is still very much in the mentality of I'm going to save my people above other people um and so I, I can understand yeah her line of thinking I I don't think I think her plan is brilliant I don't think it was executed quite as well as it could have been <laughs> um but it, I I I do understand where she's coming from. Do I think she's right? No. But... <laughs> I, yeah, I should clarify. I understand this um, logically, but am I emotionally sympathetic to her? No. I am emotionally sympathetic. I am not. Yeah, I am. I just still don't think it's right. Yeah. Um, I did want to make a little point about Jaha's little knife twist here where he says, I don't need to look at the blueprints. Um... You know, he's obviously a little bitter about <laughs> commandeering of the bunker that Octavia did last season. Um, it's also kind of the last moment and vestige of Jaha's condescension. It's a condescension that we have all come to know very well from him. Um, but this is like really the end point before his characterization shifts for the rest of this episode. And, and we'll get into that a lot more because I think, you know, the writers and Jason made a really, really significant effort to make Jaha more palatable in this episode and it's this moment here where his last sort of Jaha-ness plays out and the rest of the time is sort of like a little bit more relatable but I'm glad we saw this here because again I'm I I kind of am with him I mm-hmm. I just I mean I, I it's the show you know I'm, I'm with everyone yeah. I see their points of view yeah but I get why Jaha's pissed oh I would be pissed <laughs> too no he's he's right he's right for himself um, this also functions to remind us that he is, you know, a qualified leader, that he was always thinking of saving his people and putting them first. You know, when he found the bunker, his first thought was, oh, great, this is a safe haven for my people. So it it does go to show why he would be furious. Yeah. I would be. Um, but yeah, I really liked that little throwaway line. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, we'll have a little bit later on about Jaha's arc as a whole and, yeah, and like, his characterization. We're we'll just get getting later. started on we Jaha. Are, yeah. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, after Cooper leaves, Jaha says that she's angry because she knows they're going to have to consider population reduction again. Octavia refuses to consider that, and if they need an engineer again, they'll know, let Jaha know, and she dismisses him. Dismissed. <laughs> Uh, Jaha and Octavia definitely have a rough history, and we really haven't seen many interactions between them in this series. So I'm I'm really glad that we got that in his last episode. Um, you know, the whole reason that Bellamy came down the arc and started all of this is because he, you know, had shot Jaha, and so I feel like it kind of comes a little bit full circle for Octavia. Um, yeah, just kind of understand, and and of course Jaha floated her mother. So just kind of understanding more of where Jaha was as a leader is, is really an yeah. interesting callback. The, having the Blake siblings as a nice bookend to his stories. Yeah. It's really nice. <laughs> I like it. Um, we can also see that out of everybody, Abby sympathizes with Cooper the most. Um, that That's really interesting to me because they're going to get, you know, thrown together later in this episode. And it makes – it's really interesting that, you know, Abby was the one who was like the most considerate of Cooper's feelings and the way that that sort of plays out later in this episode is, is fascinating. Yeah. 
Indra orders a team posted on Sky's cru Sky Crew's door and increased guard presence on every floor. They'll separate all clans and segregate meal times until they can figure this out. Abby reminds them that there's too many people in the bunker and they can't just put that problem off. Octavia reminds them that none of them are in charge here. She is, and she didn't save them all so they could kill themselves. Kane tries to object, but Indra won't hear him go against their Oslea. Kane says that their champion hasn't been very interested in leading, but Octavia says that Octavia or but Indra says that Octavia is now. Yeah, this is a nice mic drop moment for Indra. Yeah, and yet Indra is still speaking for Octavia. You know, she speaks for her here. She spoke for her um, in the delegation earlier by saying, you know, Oslea is right. We're all one crew. Um, so it's really, we're still seeing Octavia not step up into her role. She's giving orders, but she's not doing anything to enforce them. She's kind of allowing other people to take on that role. Um, and I think that's going to be something that will very much change <laughs> by the end of this episode. Well, I feel like it's already kind of changing because I do agree that Indra is speaking for Octavia because I feel like Indra is her mama bear and <laughs> she has... She, she has come to love Octavia so much that she just is in protective mode all the time. But I think that in this scene, we're actually seeing Octavia start to grow interested in the, the circumstances that are happening around her and start to play an active role for the first time. This is, you know, she's sort of been dealing with the minutia of governing this whole time. There's been nothing super duper urgent to handle. And Octavia, as we know, does much better in conflict so the minute that conflict arises you know she suddenly perks up and this is like the first time that we see her really participate in the conversation and assert herself as a leader that's interesting because I actually see it the opposite way I still see her completely uninterested in doing what it takes to actually lead you know she's she's giving her orders she wants what she wants but she's not going to be the one to like make it happen um, because she just doesn't want to um and I think that's kind of a warring side within her of like I don't really want to do this but it's not going to get done if I don't do it you know she doesn't want them to all have to kill themselves which is why she says like I'm the leader but yet she's not really actively thinking about any other solutions to the problem she's just putting that off and that kind of shows that she's still not ready to take on that mantle quite yet yeah but I do think this is a nice transitional moment for yeah her. we're definitely starting to open that door yeah Cracking it, maybe. Cracking the door. <laughs> um, Abby says they theoretically can survive if they go to half rations, but since they're already at baseline rations, they'd soon start to see starvation responses among the population. We'll survive. We'll just wish we didn't cap Cappy, <laughs> Abby says. But as Kane reminds her, some of us already do. So Octavia makes the call to go to half rations. Clearly, Abby is not in a good place mentally. Um, and again, Kane has noticed... Yeah, but he's also not helping. Um, just like a little quip like that is not going to make her open up to you anymore. It's just going to piss her off. I agree. I think Kane is really distressed at their lack of communication. And I think these quips show not only his frustration, but that he's trying to get a reaction out of her. He's trying to get a rise. Yeah. Um, but he's also kind of given up. I mean, I think at this point he's like, does it matter what I say? Can I say anything? Do you, are you even listening to me? Will you yeah. even deign to talk to me? Um, again, like it's not constructive in the slightest, but it's very human. You know, he is, he's really ready to get into this with her and she's just not giving him any wiggle room at all. Yeah. Kane wants to fight. He wants to see passion from her be that good passion or bad passion. Um, 
and and she's still just numb right she's numb because well first of all she's traumatized and depressed but also because she's self-medicating that we find out later Mm -hmm. um which we haven't quite gotten to yet but it does make sense with all these context clues that's leading up to that yeah so we flash over to Kane receiving the tiniest rations known to man. Tiny. It is basically about two bites of food. Um, and we see Kane looking at Abby from across the room, but he decides to sit with Jaha so his food doesn't freeze from Abby's ice-cold silence. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jaha notices and tells Kane that even though they're not sure it was Clark outside, it doesn't matter what they know but what they believe. And Abby will come around. After all, the one thing they do have is time. Yeah, I like all of these platitudes that Jaha is feeding Crane. You know, the first one is like, it's been a long day, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's a very, like, politician thing to do. It's it's a, it's a reminder to us that, yes, he was a politician. He was a leader. He was a father. You know, from now on in this episode is there are the writers are pretty much devoted to portraying Jaha's wisdom more and more as we go along. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, like, the first time where we sort of see his his wisdom shine through in a way that doesn't feel smug to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Jaha, I think we sometimes forget, has a lot of history with Kane and Abby, um, much more than we've seen. There's so much there, and he understands the context of their relationships and also just who they are as people um, much more than we do, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I like that he's kind of sharing what he knows with Kane uh, in kind of a, a more friend friend um but even just impartial way yeah um yeah because he loves both of them he does love both of them kane and and or abby and jaha are like the ship that never sailed from season one yeah you know um and i do think that he he used to love her i do too but i think that's also done now i think that he is much more just come around to those two being the most important people in his life for better or for worse yeah and I think he know he remembers what they were all like before on the mm-hmm. arc um and I'm sure he has like a fondness for that and yeah so it comes through you know he's, these are the only people who really remember Jaha when he was like in his prime yeah I mean they he's he's seen them change and they've seen him change and I think they still respect him more than anyone else does just because they were up close and personal with him when he was the commander of the was it the commander the captain when he was the leader of the um arc and and they know the choices that he had to make and and the emotional toll that that played on him absolutely absolutely so a uh, surprise if you remember from last season jaha is now taking care of ethan after he called ethan's father who was that like annoying guy who kept popping up and complaining last season yeah, so annoying uh ethan asks quote unquote uncle theo for seconds but jaha says that kane needs to eat too and ethan needs to get used to half rations as well oh my god this uncle theo line it just killed me it gutted me Oh my god, it was awful. Um, it was adorable and, and wonderful and awful at the same time because I knew it was coming. It was very, very astute of the writers to give Jaha someone as adorable and cuddly as Ethan, you know, to look after as a way of showcasing and reminding us, you know, what a good father Jaha is. I think it's it's hard to remember because Wells died so early in the show. Mm-hmm. But Jaha was a really good father. Um, maybe not all of the time, but most of the time. And I think he deeply loved his son and I think anybody he would take on under his wing as an adoptive child he would also be a great father to and it's just heartbreaking you guys I was I was moved (laughs) (laughs) tying this into what we talked about earlier I think it's interesting to say that Jaha has always been a father and he's transferred his 
obsessive love from one person which was wells to like his people as a collective and i think it differs from kane because kane sees things on a very um I think we keep saying like idealist way of like I care about my people I want them to survive but I also want us to deserve to survive as Abby said in I don't know season one I think he's very much about still doing the right thing yeah whereas Jaha is in that mentality of I will do anything to keep these people this like collective alive they are my my child in a way um and I will sacrifice whatever I need yeah. to make sure that happens I really like the idea of Jaha sort of substituting his void the void that Wells' death created in him with his people and it's sort of makes up for and justifies some of his more radical behavior if mm-hmm. you consider him thinking of his people as his children um and the way that he acts for for them on their behalf I really really like that I also had one little question here do children get bigger rations proportionally because I I think going to half rations I mean it would be awful for adults but adults are done growing whereas if children went to half rations they're going to be emotional they're going to be stunted um physically their entire lives like they will never be able to make that up um and so I'm just curious if it's kind of like if the the rations are proportional to the kind of food that you need um and i i just i hope that children are not getting you know half of what adults get or or whatever oh yeah no in my head their the rations are are proportional to the the body's need so children get full rations in my opinion well i hope that like children's <laughs> get at least like four bites and you know comparison with kane's two bites <laughs> yeah i mean like if kane and and jaha have to go down to one bite so that ethan can have three bites like i'm good with that math yeah uh, Jaha tells Ethan that he has a surprise for him in the room, and before they leave, Jaha tells Kane that he's still glad Kane talked him out of fighting Octavia for this place. Um, so I want to examine this line. You know, why is Jaha glad? Is it because he's found peace with Ethan? Is it because he thinks that Kane saved what's left of his soul? Like, what do you think? I actually think that it's because he's done. I think he doesn't want to lead anymore. You know, his fight is over. And it was over before he ends up dying in this episode. You know, that's a little literal version of over. But I think for him, you know, he doesn't want to be in control anymore. His character art is finally complete and that he's able to relinquish that control that he used to crave so badly. Um, And because we can sort of see this completion of his arc, that's another signal to us that this is going to be the end for Jaha. I like that a lot. And I also do think that there's a part of it that he's just tired of making sacrifices Mm -hmm. for the greater good of his people. Um, We'll talk about it later on, but we never see Jaha have emotional reactions to things that he does and I think he's just he's done with it yeah we're finally seeing him being like I cannot do it anymore I'm glad you stopped me I'm just gonna like take a step back I'm done (laughs) yeah you know how many times do you need to be um told the same thing before the message sinks in yeah and he's he's had power taken away from him and take and tried to seize power back multiple times and it never works out well for him so I think he's he's really done this time. For the record, though, I don't think he's ever tried to seize power back. I think he truly just believes that he's the best leader for his people and he wants them to prosper. I don't think it's about him having power. I just yeah, think it's no. him thinking he knows what's best. I don't think it's a greed thing. Yeah. I think it's a superiority thing. Yeah. Cooper stops Jaha on his way out, saying that she has an idea about how to make the food last, but Jaha tells her they could talk about it in the morning. And all I'm saying is, 
Cooper clearly has a lot of respect for Jaha, but if she really wanted him to stay, she could have tried a little bit harder. She didn't really put forth that much of an effort. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure she was just trying like not to tip him off as to what was about to happen, but I agree that this was half-hearted. <laughs> I mean, she clearly looks like Jaha as their leader, as the Sky Crew leader still. Um, I, I, I just think there was a way she could have done it to get him to stay for like five more seconds, which is all they really needed, you know? Yeah, I agree. Um, but Abby is eating with Jackson and Miller, who are now together, and Abby is basically the voice of the entire fandom right now, as she clearly ships the relationship really hard. <laughs> After Miller leaves, Abby takes a pill, which Jasper... Why do I keep saying Jasper? Their names, their names are very are, similar. Yeah. Um, with Jackson, he notices with concern. He says that Kane said Abby is still having headaches, which they were supposed to stop after her ice bath. Uh, Abby asks Jackson to stop discussing her condition with Kane, but Jackson reminds her that they do it because they both care about her. Ah, the dreaded psychic brain trauma returns. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm glad that I think that the actual psychic brain trauma is over and that there are now just consequences for her having it rather than it just being some stupid like psychic clerk is going to die thing at the end of last season which I will never get over (laughs) yeah I know you're really frustrated with it but I'm I'm glad that there are real world consequences to this you know psychological or physical trauma that happened to Abby's brain I again think it would have been unrealistic if nothing came from it um, medically speaking. And I am also not sure if Abby is self-medicating at this point, you know, just to numb her emotional pain and depression that she's feeling, or if she's now actually addicted or both. Um, I think we're going to have to wait and see if withdrawals become an issue for her, you know, for the rest of the season. It's kind of hard to tell, like, how addicted she is at this point. I mean, she definitely went through withdrawal um, in this episode. You could see when she was tied up um, yeah. in the, the farm, she was kind of sweating and, and looked really pale and, and, and sick, honestly. That's um, a good point. I didn't really think about that. I do think that she started out taking the pills for her headaches, but they made her feel probably marginally better, or at least numb. numb. Um, and so she kept taking them after she stopped needing them, and now she really is addicted to the pills physically, but also emotionally. Yeah, I, I think they're a crutch for her um, in more than more ways than one. And I, I think this is really, um, you know, normal or, you know, something that happens a lot with people who go through a traumatic experience or have physical discomfort, you know, from a car accident or something. You know, they, they start, you know, taking medication for the pain, but then it also helps them not remember the tragic event or traumatic event that they, mm-hmm. they went through. So I think this is really realistic, and I'm really glad that it's part of this season. It's really interesting, and I, I like the idea of a doctor knowing better, but being so depressed that she is going against what she knows is is unhealthy for her making like the unhealthy choice yeah that's one thing that's really hard is that abby is a doctor and she knows the state of their um, medical supplies and she knows that her using it is taking it away from other people right. and yet she can't stop right and and that must also put more guilt on her that she can't stop and, and right. that just kind it's of feeds a, off of a, each other it's, it's a, a feedback loop. vicious cycle um and i also think it shows the level, the severity of, of depression that yeah. she's in, that she would be willing to sacrifice their very precious stash of medicine. Jason did at one point say that Abby's storyline this season was um, quote-unquote timely, and me and you both could not figure out what that could possibly be. We yeah, I had no like, idea. Something in the Me Too movement, but that wasn't really ringing right. Um, but it 
totally makes sense now with the opioid crisis um, that this is kind of coming into play for Abby. And I love this. I mean, I don't love it, but I, I'm really interested in this new development and I'm curious to see where it goes and, and where Abby goes from yeah, there. Yeah, and I really like that that's the sort of resonating issue that Jason picked yeah um you know as a current event you know kind of thing as opposed to a me too movement which you know I'm all for feminism and everything yeah, of, course. of course of course but I just could not <laughs> figure out how that it just didn't seem to tie, tie in. into yeah. Abby's storyline I could figure it out at all so this was this was a really interesting option yeah but overall I'm just really glad that the brain issue last season at least had been resolved <laughs> not well resolved but also like is being carried forward in a realistic um, complicated way. Yeah, I agree. Across the room, Cooper falls to the ground. Abby rushes over, and Jackson says she's having a seizure until suddenly some Sky crew attack the grounder guards and shut and lock the doors. Cooper tells them all that they're safe, and when Kane asks what they're doing, Cooper says they're taking back what's theirs. Then she knocks Kane out. Um, and I gotta give it to Cooper. I really do think this is a brilliant plan. They just um, instituted separate mealtime, so pretty much all of Sky Crew was supposed to be in this area. Um, and they have everything they need to survive in this one section. Um, so I, I, it really was a brilliant plan. Again, it could have been executed a little bit differently, but, you know, they again, didn't have a lot of time on their hands. I gotta give her props. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the first time I watched this, I was really pissed off at Sky Crew. Um, like, really pissed off. But the second time around, you know, I realized I need to cut them some slack. They are really effing hungry. I forgot how tiny those portions are. Um, and as Octavia says later, you know, they're just hungry. They're, they're acting out of fear and starvation. And if it were me... I would have been murdering people already. So I, I really had to cut them some slack and, and, you know, give it to them that this is like at least a nonviolent approach to, to solving the problem. Something that just occurred to me actually is this is an interesting tie-in to what, what Clark did last season, Clark and Jaha, um, about stealing the bunker from themselves. You know, I think here Sky Crew is thinking, we're not all going to survive. We had this place first we know how to run the farms first and foremost. So we're the ones who deserve to survive here. Um, because if not all, if, if none of us survive, then what's the what's point? The point? Um, so that, that's kind of an interesting call. And in. I think Clark had a little bit more ground to stand on just because she was facing the possibility that no one would get the bunker. If um, Luna won, which Luna really should have won, you know, <laughs> you know what? We've covered that. We have covered that. We're not going to get into it, but, but like, I'm just saying, I, she had more of that fear. Um, but then again, I guess Cooper also has the fear that they're all going to die. Yeah. So. yeah, I do. And I, I think, again, the the show is really interested in going over the same problems over and over again with different people with different outcomes. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. Uh, when Kane comes to, he and Abby are handcuffed in the greenhouse. Cooper tells them that Sky Crew is going to live. And even though it's unfair, the grounders outside will not live. Kane asks why they're restrained, and Cooper says that she doesn't kill her own people, even the ones responsible for the deaths of her husband and father. Which, ironic statement, <laughs> considering the end of this episode. Just yeah. going to lay that out there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll circle around to that later. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that Cooper has this sort of moral line, you know, that she won't cross, and it's it stops just before killing her own people. She's fine with killing everybody outside of the the doors you know all of the grounders and any of the sky crew people who happen to be on the other side you know it's tough but she'll have to get over it but these two people inside the bunker who she hates 
she somehow still can't get herself to kill them. Oh, yeah. I think she learned a lot from Pike. I think that was very much a Pike mentality. Um, And I still, I mean, don't need to get into this discussion, but I think Pike was a fascinating character in the way that he thought about morality and what was right and what, you know, was good for your people and and, and all of that, Um, which, again, not going to get into, but she seems to be a product of that way of thinking yeah I agree and I you know I think it's really easy for somebody on the outside to cast stones she's clearly criticizing their way of governing um but I'm not sure if she can do any better so we'll see how how her leadership sort of plays out for the rest of this episode as she comes into her own I don't think she's as much thinking about what she could do better I think she's still just really bitter that they could have all survived for much longer if it was just sky crew yeah I agree um but yeah. So Kane says Abby has nothing to do with the deaths of Cooper's family. But as Cooper reminds him, Abby opened the door. And Cooper wonders if Abby would have done that if Kane were already inside. Um, narrator voice? No, she would not. <laughs> Laying that out there. No, she would not. <laughs> yeah, this really puts into focus um, the moral complexity of these decisions. And also just really, be just because there are heroes, it does not mean that they hold the moral high ground at all. Um, and it's really, really interesting to see. That was that was another mic drop moment for me when Abby asked him that question because up until that point, I was really like... What question? Oh, the the part that we haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> yes, the part we haven't um, gotten to yet. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to, let's just go ahead and keep recapping. Um, Abby asks Cooper about their people who are on the wrong side of the door. Cooper says that she waited as long as they could. And then Abby proceeds to give a horrifyingly clinical speech about the slow agony that is death by starvation. And the people who die first will be the lucky ones because they won't have to fight the temptation to eat their friends. Abby says that Cooper must have heard about the blight, or the rumors about the blight, as she puts it, uh, which is why the Ark started floating their dead. But Cooper reminds Abby that everything she's saying would happen to them in five years, and Abby should never have opened the door, and all those deaths are on her, too. This is such an amazing piece of backstory that we get about why they started floating people. You know, it's it's a prime example of retconning done well. Yeah, um, I mean, I think, I, I think we have to agree to disagree. I don't think retconning is the right word for me um because retconning to me means kind of inserting a piece of information that changes an overall idea about a thing whereas I have always had the idea that the arc went through some really dark times to get where they are um and so this kind of just fleshes out (laughs) but um so to speak that was my joke first no but I didn't understand that it was your joke until I made it in my head later so it's also my joke but it was my joke first but it was also my joke (laughs) okay and it's a great joke um I, I I think that this is just fleshing out the background of the arc a little bit more and so this is really just adding more context for me versus like retconning yeah I see that I just think that for me personally like I'm not sure I ever considered I knew that they went through some pretty hideous times but I don't think I actually considered cannibalism you know I didn't realize that the Donner party happened up in space so this was like a new shocking revelation for me and it did add new context and made me think about them in a really new way so I mean I I never considered cannibalism specifically but it doesn't surprise me that it happened so yeah I was I was surprised yeah um 
it's it's also like humanity is just stuck in this loop of violence and suffering you know we see it on the ark they had this period of the quote-unquote blight with starvation cannibalism they started floating their dead we see here again they're trapped you know they they don't have enough food for everybody we'll see what happens with that at the end of this episode where you know fight to the death kind of thing um to, to cold population down um and then of course we've seen in all the other episodes of this show just circles and circles of violence and trying to fight your way back from violence but we just can't ever quite get there yeah um as as a the human species yeah i think that that is the struggle of being human and being our species um and i think that is the central question that this show is asking without ever really providing an answer but it is it is fascinating to the writers and Jason particularly and it's a puzzler that they just keep untwisting and unraveling and retwisting and and it's an endless cycle for us too it's that question again of do we even deserve to survive you know in season nine of the hundred when aliens come and take over um they're gonna see the sky crew and the grounders all fighting it out again and again and again. They're gonna be like, "What are these people?" Like, and then they're they gonna leave. Be here, <laughs> they're going to. They're leave. not gonna leave. They're gonna wipe the the like five that are left out <laughs> and, and and just start over. Oh my god! <laughs> I also really like in this scene um, that we get this reminder that Abby is really smart. You know, she's really manipulative when she wants to be. When she details the with clinical precision what is going to happen to the de- the body as it decomposes from starvation you know you can see that she has cooper she is right there and and cooper is is shook and upset and and affected by this speech exactly the way that abby anticipated and was hoping to sway her and then at the last second, Cooper regains, you know, her strength and, and her resolu- resolution, but um, her resolve. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, Abby is a force to be reckoned with when she wants to be. So I, I mean, what's interesting about this, and, and I don't know what Cooper has done in her past. I know she was part of Farm Crew, so I'm sure she's fought before. Um, but she did this specific takeover here with basically no violence. And so... I think she's able to kind of separate herself from the reality of the situation. And, and Abby's now reminding her about, you know, your own people that are still out there. This is what's going to happen to them. And Cooper having to think about that and actually visualize what that will look like makes this a little bit more real. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the last moment she pulls away because she doesn't want it to be real. She's not going to think about that because in her mind, there's nothing that she can do. She's already made her move, and this is it. Yeah, it's too hard to engage with the reality emotionally, and she's already made her choice, and she's just going to stick to it. Yeah. So we flash to Jaha reading The Giving Tree to Ethan. Mm. Um, real subtle symbolism there, writers. Real subtle. I, I just don't see what what are you talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also really effective, you it, know. Yeah. It, I, I was upset. <laughs> and I, I have to ask, too, does reframing Jaha as the giving tree who he clearly is is framed as um does that change our opinions of him I don't think it changes my opinion about him but it it makes again it makes him more palatable for me in this episode I think it does a very it is very effective as showing him as somebody who is giving and giving and giving until he has nothing left to give um which is not something that I ever thought about it for him before and also makes him seem um maybe a little bit more 
kind than mm-hmm. I originally was thinking. I don't know. Generous yeah. And, generous. Yeah. Exactly. I selfless, selfless. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for, for speaking for me. Um, <laughs> it's totally fine when you do it. Um, I, yeah, I think it does change things for me a lot. It actually does. I, I don't know if I'd use the word change, but it, it definitely puts into perspective his whole arc. And, and it does reframe it a little bit for me. And I'm able to kind of see what the writers were going for more when I read it under the lens of The Giving Tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I've always been a little confused about what they were doing with Jaha. I mean, I've been bewildered. I, so. I thought they were going in different directions than they did. And, and again, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but I do really like this this little moment here to kind of show us what the writers had envisioned for John. Yeah, it's like a character map for him. Yeah. And I've been trying to map him onto something and it just has not fit, like stuck to anything. Mm-hmm. And I think finally I have something that really matches up and aligns with what they were trying to do. Yeah. Um, Nyla asks Jaha if he can fix her wheel and as he goes to look at it grounders run into the bunker and start pulling out Sky Crew. Jaha hides Ethan and Nyla under the bed and tries to talk the grounders down but the grounders are furious about Sky Crew shutting them out of the farm station and they are not going to reason with Sky Crew anymore. Jaha tries to fight but just as he starts to lose Octavia comes in and makes the grounders stand down. So say whatever you want about Jaha, but one thing that I do like about him is that he does always try to go for the nonviolent actions first. Yeah, he's very diplomatic. And I, I, I just, I like that because there's a lot of characters who do not. Yeah, no. Octavia, for one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. That, um, is, a, that is a huge difference in their characters. Uh, but yeah, I, I do respect him. <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far. I, I do. I do I in do this episode. Him. I will say for, for I've always we we've talked about this. Yeah. I, I respect what he brought to the show. I think he has a really unique perspective in terms of all the other characters, and I've I always respected liked that. this moment, this decision. <laughs> okay. Um, I I knew that the second their fight um, became partially obscured, you know, behind the double bunk beds, mm-hmm. um, that he was going to get critically wounded or fatally wounded. It was like from this moment forward, I was like, yep this is it this is his last episode we have confirmation this is happening um and I also really wanted to I wanted to say really quickly um I thought this was a a really good effective use of camera work you know to show the fight scene from Ethan's POV under the bed it really like put this into like a really close up con you know sort of claustrophobic Mm -hmm. you know situation and I just I thought that was a really interesting choice and I I loved it I have two things to say about that okay the first thing is whenever fight scenes happen I tend to tune out because I find them boring a lot of the time and And then also side note when we're recapping she's like wait what happened yeah (laughs) and I have to tell her that was my second part the the first part was when fight scenes happen I'll sometimes take that time to like think of other things that are going on in the show and like turn that around in my head the bigger picture is during this episode specifically I had a really hard time focusing because there was so much information and so many fantastic lines that I would like hear something I'd start thinking about it and then I'd miss the next like two things that happened so I've seen this episode twice and I still did not notice Jaha getting stabbed it's fine guys that's why there's two of us <laughs> um Indra tells them all that Sky Crew sealed the, the farm and now the grounders will die um but this also I that screwed up at all um <laughs> Skykers sealed the farm, but the grounder who has been attacking Jaha will also die for what he's done. 
Octavia stops her, saying that the grounders are scared and hungry, and Octavia tells the grounder to spread the word that she's going to take Farm Station back. Um, so we still see here Octavia is really fighting for the underdog, you know, first fighting for Jaha and saving him, um, but then also saving the grounder. And, you know, earlier on when she was in the delegation, she's not wanting to stone anyone or cast anyone out um, for stealing towels or blankets or whatever. Um, so she, she's always very much doing what is just and right, but I think she leans more on the side of the, I don't want to say helpless, but just the underdog. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. I think, you know, if you could ever characterize Octavia as being benevolent, you know, this is the most benevolent she will ever be. Mm -hmm. Um, and from this point forward, you know, she, her non killing approach to governing uh, sort of ends. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the last moment really where we see her trying to save, to save people in a nonviolent kind of way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, this is it for her. It's like a bye bye to Octavia. <laughs> Uh, Octavia orders everyone to be brought to the rotunda where they can be protected, but she needs Jaha to come with her. Ethan wants to stay with Jaha, but Jaha makes him go with Miller. Um, this is a heartbreaking goodbye, oh uh, because we did all know this was going to be a goodbye. Like, as soon as that kid was like, I want to stay with you, it was like, yep, Jaha's dead, because I, I missed the stabbing part earlier. Yeah, or the, this like, had occurred to me earlier, but if you weren't sure before, you got it now. I mean... I, I was sure going into this episode that yeah. he would die. I was like 99.9% .9 sure. Um, but again, there was that whole thing with him being in the credits. So I wasn't I wasn't that extra 0.1% sure. Um, but, but when this happened, I was like, yep, he's gone. Yeah. Um, and that this kid, too, he's lost so much, as has Jaha. And they've kind of found a little family among themselves. Yeah. And it, it's so sad that, again... You know, this kid's going to lose someone else. I know. He's lost another father's figure. Yeah. I mean, was this the first time I cried for Jaha ever? <laughs> Possibly. Um, I did cry at this scene. I cried a lot in this you episode. Did. I, I did. <laughs> walled, I wailed. I was very surprised. Um, um, but yeah, this was the first time I broke the seal. I started crying <laughs> early. <laughs> so... You know, I also thought it was really interesting in this scene that Octavia uses the rotunda, you know, to protect Sky Crew. It's just really ironic because of how she's going to end up using it by the end of this episode. This is also sort of like, this is the last time Octavia tries to save people. It's also the last time the rotunda is used for protection. <laughs> There's a lot of lasts in this scene. Yeah. Things are about to change very quickly. Yes, they are. Uh, Octavia tells Nyla that she should go with them to the rotunda, but Nyla says that safety is overrated and she's with Octavia. And oh my god, you could cut the sexual tension with a knife here. Thick as I was, butter. I was shocked by like how much tension there was in this one like little scene. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a direction that they each received either in the script or from the director or from Jason himself or if this has not been addressed yet, but I have to say I have to believe that both Marie and Jessica Harmon are playing this as if they are going to, or that they're both attracted to each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a direction that they've received, but I have to assume that they both have agreed on it together. It kind of reminds me of like the Bellamy and Clark thing, which we always say they seem like, well, especially Bellamy, it seems like he's very much in love with Clark. And yet apparently they're not getting this direction. That's almost what I feel like here, but I, there's a part of me that still thinks that maybe this could happen. I'm still not sure if I want Nyla with Octavia after this, like, six-year time jump. Um, but I'll tell you what. I was into it yeah, here. This I was love, really working. I love how Octavia talks.
talks to her and like the tone of her voice when she speaks with Nyla saying like you know you should go with them to the rotunda even that is like so much softer and more tender than she speaks to anyone else yeah I've never heard her talk like that not even to Lincoln honestly no um so this I just I loved it well I feel like she feels like Nyla is soft and needs protecting and I love thinking about Octavia as as somebody who wants to protect Nyla and, and, and make sure she's safe. You know, that's also like an interesting part of it where when she was with Lincoln, Octavia was the one who needed protection. And in this, her, her role has completely reversed and we've seen her grow and adapt and become this new person. Um, I'm here for it. I, I don't, I agree. I don't really want them to be together with Octavia, you know. I didn't say that. I said I wasn't sure. <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if I want them to be together uh, when we fast forward 6 years, but I'm hoping that by the end of the season Octavia is in a place where she and Nyla can happily be together. If she's not dead. If she's not <laughs> dead, which um, I'm not convinced she isn't going to be. I I still think I I wouldn't say that Octavia feels like Nyla needs to be protected. I feel like Octavia recognizes a strength in Nyla that she has rarely seen among other people. I think, you know, Octavia is not used to looking at strength in um, an emotional sense, Mm -hmm. but I do think she sees how strong Nyla is emotionally and how adaptable she is to every situation and and how powerful everything she says is. And I think she deeply respects that um, and, and wants that more in her life um and maybe too like maybe the protection thing in the sense of nyla her words at least are, are precious to me and i i, I want to, to 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 keep her safe yeah that's um, kind of what i meant not protection yeah. and like she's vulnerable yeah. and weak more of like like this is somebody who is pure and unique and needs to be who needs to to stay alive yeah um so into that i'm very much tuning in for that next week and going forward yeah um, i'm hoping to see more of that i will be watching it with my shipper goggles from now on so yeah. not that i wasn't already the shipper goggles have been replaced, <laughs> replaced. <laughs> <laughs> um indra and octavia need jaha to open the farm station door because if they can't uh, they're all dead and as jaha studies the blueprints indra gets the report that although the rest of sky crew is safe for now grounders are taking over the floors by clan and it's only mem- a moment of time a matter of time before people start attacking um, and looking for ways to help them survive but as nyla says when hell breaks loose it breaks loose fast and gaia tells her that this isn't hell this is who we are i thought that this line from gaia was so interesting and it, it you know it, it struck this idea in me of sort of like collective identity like Nyla is just basically describing this as chaos, but Gaia recognizes this as a facet of grounder culture um, and has pride in that culture. She seems very defensive in this moment. And it's really interesting because she is someone who is so deeply devoted to grounder culture and religion that it it makes sense for her to to be defensive. Mm-hmm. I really like that idea. Yeah, I, 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 I like that um, interpretation. And I also think another interpretation is just this is one more way the show explores the who we are and who we need to survive are very different things. You know, Nyla doesn't like this idea that people are losing control in a time of crisis. Um, but Gaia says, like, this is who we are and how it's always been. Um, and so what what does that need to survive turn you into? Um, this almost feels like it's a reversion to the time right after the apocalypse when survival was like this immediate do or die situation. Um, and as we see here, like the grounders and, and Sky Crew, the ones outside, either figure out how to get in farm station or they die. Like there is no 
other option but that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, like, is Sky Crew any better? They left their own people out to die. Um, and I'm sure Sky Crew, even though they're protected now in their little rotunda, if they if it comes to it, they're gonna be just as chaotic as the rest of the grounders are. Oh right yeah, now. I agree. I think the show has made a a very clear effort to show that there is very little differences in you know for all their pretended civility the grounders or sorry sky crew is just as vicious yeah and brutal as grounder the grounders are so yeah no they're the same yeah octavia tells them that this chaos is not who they are because they are now one crew but gaia counters that it's easy for them to say that they were going to be one crew when they were trying to escape death and prime fire but without a true commander to unite them all they're now just warring clans that's how it's always been and that's how it always will be you know, no true words have ever been spoken. Gaia just doesn't know yet she's actually <laughs> talking about Octavia. This is excellent foreshadowing, and I loved this. I am curious where Gaia gets this, like, really extreme prescriptive religious mentality from about, you know, if we don't have a commander, we're all going to die, period. Like, there's no way that we can unite everyone and keep everyone going. Yeah, she's not flexible at all. Mm-hmm. And... We've seen, you know, her mom has a really strong backbone. She's she's really, really determined. But she's practical. But she's practical. And she'll change her and mind. And adaptable. Yeah. Exactly. So there, it can see, like we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, there is that sort of like inner strength that she gets from Indra. But her sort of, like as you called it, prescriptive um, devotion to this religion is really blinding. Mm-hmm. Um, and very confusing like I have no idea where this comes from and it begs the question was there an inciting incident when she was younger something that happened that 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 forced her you know to become more more faithful or you know look for religion in a way that that you know maybe the rest of the her people or even her mother like just never needed to mm-hmm. I don't know and I'm I'm really anxious and eager to learn more about that I hope we do at some point I hope we get, I feel like we I think this is going to be like a Gaia season I mm-hmm. think we're going to get a lot more about her backstory or at least I, I hope we do I know we have really have time to do everything but I, I would really like them to, to make an effort of putting her backstory in the foreground I would agree totally agree um because I think like Echo last season I was disappointed with the lack of Gaia we got mm-hmm. um I was expecting a lot more out of her storyline especially with Indra and we just didn't have time for it yeah um so I'm really, I'm really hope, hoping that they get to it this season. Yeah, I'm really glad that they brought her back and, and are clearly setting her up for a larger role. Yeah. And a role that makes complete sense. She is now the like lone religious figure in this bunker that we know of. And so I like that she's kind of bringing in those, those old traditions and, and, and trying to reconcile those with this new way of life. Sure. With that said, though, <laughs> what is her solution at this point? Like, who would she have lead them? Like, I, what is her what is her recommendation? <laughs> I don't know. I, I was trying to think of that, too. Like, wh- okay, so Octavia is not your leader. Who else is going to be the leader? Who is going to right. help us survive? You're like, you're like, you know, really criticizing things here. But I don't hear you giving any suggestions. Yeah. Like, if you don't have anything to contribute, be quiet. If you don't have anything positive to say, don't, don't say, say anything, anything at all. all. <laughs> yeah, I'm very frustrated with her lack of contribution. Like, just shut up if you don't have anything nice <laughs> to say. Um, Indra says hunger will make it worse, and she hopes the people who took the farm make their demands soon. But Jaha says there won't be any demands because they have everything they need to survive except for him. 
Um, so Jaha is very confident in himself, and honestly, for good reason. He's brilliant. Was he the one who, who figured out how to bring the Ark down to the ground? I think he was, yeah. right? Um, I, I, he, I mean, he's an engineer. That's what he was before he was the commander or the leader of the, um, of the Ark. And Chancellor. Chancellor is the word I was looking That's for. That's the word. Um, we write, we do the hundred podcast. We, we know things about the hundred. <laughs> There's a lot of C words. Yeah, there is. <laughs> um, so yeah, like even though he, I think, can sometimes be a little smug or even condescending in the way he talks about things, it's not without background knowledge you know yeah there's definitely a basis for it yeah. he's not wrong it's just it's i don't how. like the way he talks yeah <laughs> exactly uh jaha says that cadigan my love built the farm station level to be totally self-contained so even if the rest of the bunker fails that level will remain operative which means that if he can reroute electricity to the floor below and use the metal walls as giant conductors he should be able to short out the farm station doors and unlock them hmm. um also this might be the first time that Jaha's ever made a joke or, like, been funny to yeah, me. Yeah, he, he had was humor. Like, he was like, oh, yes, I can open the doors. I should have led with that. <laughs> yeah. I, like, laughed out loud. I don't think I've ever laughed to something Jaha's Right. Said. This is clearly, like, another way in which the writers are making him more likable. They're giving him humor, which they've never done before. And, in fact, it was almost humor that felt out of context with this show in general it took me out for just a brief second it almost reminded me of um like marvel type humor yeah um which is fine like i loved it but it just it didn't feel like what we usually get in this show yeah it was like borderline like almost slapstick yeah like which is a bizarre i mean like this is not slapstick at all but it was like more in that direction than anything we've seen on this show before um for sure the I have to say, you know, the more Jaha like makes himself valuable and the more he has to contribute, the more obvious it becomes to me that he is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Sinclair, like Jaha is making things a little too easy. Um, and so he's got he's got to go. And, you know, it's like at this point, Indra starts noticing the blood and we've got that. Yeah. Down pat. <laughs> The level below farm station has five different clans roaming, looking for someone to take out their anger on. And the second he sees Jaha, or they see Jaha, Jaha's dead. When Octavia asks if Nyla can make Jaha look like a grounder, Nyla says, you know I can. And I'm sitting here like, what? <laughs> I don't know. This was such a contrived line. I, anything would have been better than this. Like a response, like I'll do my best. It just would have made so much more sense. This was a really awkward moment and I don't get it. Yeah, the only way I can tr twist this is like, Nyla's a traitor so I guess she has like grounder clothes and stuff but it was just like it's a stretch it, 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 it like treated that that um idea of her making someone look like grounder like something that we'd seen before or seen her do something similar to which we haven't or like making her have like a valuable skill set that no one else has which would make her presence here necessary well yeah that's what I was going to go into is it makes this seem like this is the reason that the writers kept her around so she could um clothe Jaha but it is very very much of a stretch and it still leads me to believe that they included Nightlet in these scenes only for the sexual tension only to like kind of lay the groundwork for that relationship and this was like Oh, the, the like frosting on top of right. This was like the excuse they yeah. used to like bring her in so that they could do this character work. Yeah. Um. Early on. Yeah. It was it was weird. <laughs> Octavia lays out the plan. They split up, draw as many people as they can away from level D, and then she'll get Jaha to the generator. 
Indra tells Octavia that this plan is too dangerous, but Gaia says that it's not as dangerous as doing nothing. Octavia starts taking off the commander gear, and when Indra asks what she's doing, Octavia says that it's something she should have done 46 days ago. On her, it's not a symbol, it's a target. So this is the first time that we see Gaia supporting Octavia um, and really allying with her. And it's a really interesting moment to note when this shift happens and why it happens. I, I kind of wonder if Gaia is respecting Octavia for the first time because she's actually acting like a true commander would for the first time. She's really taking on that leadership role, not just you know giving an order, but also explaining how they're going to execute it and also putting herself in the role of executing it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's exactly right. I think in, uh, Gaia finally recognizes something in Octavia akin to what she's used to seeing her leaders exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she likes it. Yeah. And she respects it. And she she finally has faith that Octavia can do this, where I think before she had no faith at all. Yeah. Um, to use the word faith in a way that isn't exactly like, you know, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like that. I really do. Um, I do think it's also interesting, again, you know, we've talked about this a lot already, but Indra very different reaction than Gaia she's still treating Octavia like a mentee or a loved one and I I don't think that at this point Indra can differentiate between somebody that she like loves as like a as a family member and somebody that she like is duty bound towards like those things are are equivalent to her wrapped Mm -hmm. up and mutually tied together um so I think that this the fact that Octavia started as her you know as a mentee and has become something like a daughter to Indra is just making Indra almost incapable of looking at her like a force to be reckoned with in her own way. She's, yeah. she's coming up a little short here. Um, and I also really liked that in this scene, they describe level D as no man's land. You know, it's a place where the grounders can take out their anger regardless of their clan lines. And I just think that this is a is kind of like a nice reminder and sounds a lot like a gladiatorial arena to me, which sort of like is a precursor to what Octavia will later instill as like their new system of justice. So I kind of like the idea of her maybe getting that idea from this as yeah. another in- source of influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they get to level D, Gaia and Indra draw some of the grounders away. Octavia wants to take Jaha to the generator room, but there's still too many grounders around to get there. The grounders start attacking a boy, and Octavia wants to help him, but Jaha stops her. There's too many of them, and if they don't succeed, that boy dies anyway. Um, so I'd like to say that Octavia's next transformation really starts right here, when she learns that you can't save everyone. And on a much smaller scale, um, something that's just now occurring to me, this in some way also ties into Clark letting the, a bomb drop on Tondi C. Um, you know, it's like, don't save people, sacrifice people now to save more people later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as we know, Octavia was really hard on Clark for that um, decision, which, I mean, that's, that's also fair. Um, but it's just an interesting callback in a way that Octavia is kind of now learning you know, again, you can't save everyone. And I, I wonder what she would think about Clark's past decisions now if she looks at them six years, you know, after leaving the bunker, how she would kind of see what Clark has done and what choices she's made. Yeah, I think, as we'll see, Octavia comes to adopt Jaha's leadership style. And I think Clark is another sort of, you know, tutor person, 
that's not a real word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, you know, so, somebody, somebody else who has learned how to lead people from Jaha, and he has also instilled his like personal style on Clark. So it makes sense to me that <laughs> sorry, tutor person, tutor person. teacher. <laughs> I am a podcaster, and I am good at this. Um, it's nine o'clock at night, guys. <laughs> we've been doing this literally all day, um, and I, I, I like to think that Octavia would have some keener understanding of Clark's decisions because they're both operating under like the Jaha school of of leadership mm-hmm. um which kind of leads me to my point which is I think this is maybe also the first time where Jaha's leadership leadership decisions make sense to Octavia I think this co- becomes even more clear later on but I think that this is the first moment where she allows a piece of advice from him she listens to it soaks it in and then agrees with him and does what he's he's telling her to do, mm-hmm. or not telling her what, but he she takes his advice. Yeah, um, which is the first time we've ever seen her do that. Yeah. And so, while I think that there was like a little bit of a, like we said, the door had cracked open a little bit for Octavia to take on this new transformation. I agree that this is the moment where her like butterfly wings have like kind of broken out of her shell, and she is the new version. This is a new Octavia phase for us. I wouldn't say she's broken out yet, but she's definitely like made a crack in the shell. Like, this is, like, the first She's moment. climbing out She's, of the cocoon. Yeah, just starting to climb out. Um, Octavia discovers that Jaha is much more hurt than he let on earlier, and he tells her he doesn't have much time left. When they get to the generator room, Jaha sets to solve his quote-unquote five-minute problem. But as Octavia reminds herself, even if they're going to get the farm back, there's still too many people in this bunker. That problem isn't going away. No. And I loved Jaha framing this as a five-minute problem, which basically means that they're, like, plugging holes in a leaking dam instead of actually fixing the dam or building a new one. Um, Jaha is already starting to teach Octavia to think like a leader, you know, fix the small problems, but never lose sight of the bigger ones. Yeah. And and this is just starting to occur to Octavia that like this one problem isn't going to solve everything else that's wrong. Right. And you still have to prioritize. Part of governing is prioritization, which is a quote from the American president written by Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> um, so it's just shout out to Aaron. Um, yeah, and the I, the idea of things are not black and white. You know, Octavia's worldview of being, of seeing everything very yes or no, it doesn't apply to governing. There are shades of gray. You have to make decisions and prioritize things that in, in their own, you know, secluded, you know, situation maybe it would not make sense to do it but in the grander scale of things like you have to make sacrifices mm-hmm. um I also love in this scene the visual symbol of Octavia doing like the mechanical work for when Jaha is like unable to do it himself you know this just like perfectly visually symbolizes Jaha like passing his leadership baton to Octavia who will now go forth and implement his leadership style you know even when he's gone and I just really liked that sort of physical manifestation of that yeah. metaphor I like that too yeah Jackson brings Kane and Abby a heaping plate full of food apparently there's no more rationing now but Kane says they'll just share Jackson is appalled that most of their people are okay with this and that he can't get anyone to fight back Abby tells him not to do anything stupid, but Jackson can't let Miller die out there. Jackson's forced to leave, and when Abby asks him to bring her pills, he says he'll bring them next time. Yeah, so this scene confirms what we already suspected um, in that previous scene, that Abby is self-medicating. So now Jackson has taken it upon himself to treat Abby as an addict. Um, You can see that he's really hesitant to give her 
the medication or the substance that she's craving. Um, so I, I do really like seeing Jackson take a more active role here. I think this might be the first time where I've really seen him step up as a doctor. Um, and it's interesting to see Abby being treated as a patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's super fascinating. And I also want to say I don't understand why they're still wasting food like this. Like I know that they've like cut down the population to like a third of its – fourth of its size. But – I still don't like the idea of wasting food. Like, this seems like a huge waste to me. Not even a fourth of its size. It would be, like, a twelfth of its size. Because there's not even a hundred Sky Crew members in this room that they've locked themselves in. But don't you agree that that just seems wasteful? I mean, I think the, uh, I think Cooper has plotted it out. I think if she says it's fine, it's probably fine. Um, I I, I really don't know because I don't know how... food lasts <laughs> I don't really <laughs> yeah. know like how much I don't know they this have. just seemed really excessive to me like Cooper was like trying to drive a point home oh I, I I didn't think that I really do think it's just there's probably now like what 75 of them versus yeah. 1200 so a lot more food to go around <laughs> it was an overwhelming amount of food um I also wanted to note here that Jackson has never had to grapple with fighting his own people before as we've seen almost everyone else in the show have to do at some point so true um so and, and he's very much past this. So, you know, the, the thought of him having to, to fight to get Miller in or to, to get himself out to, to Miller, um, it's it's it definitely clear that Jasper oh my gosh, I've been calling him Jasper all day. That Jackson really loves Miller and, and is like willing to compromise himself for that. Yeah, it's really sweet. As Kane snarkily quips, imagine wanting to actually save the person you love. Abby can't let go of the fact that Kane took away her choice, but Kane won't apologize for saving her life. She's a doctor, and he'd make that same decision even if he didn't love her. Abby calls him out on that, asking then why he was willing to float her back on the ark. And I have to say, touche, Abby. Touche. This was the part that I was referring to earlier. Yeah, I yeah, I couldn't remember when that actually occurred, but yeah, I. That was such a great question, and I never thought about that before because I was making that same argument last season that, like, she's a doctor. She definitely needs to be inside. Um, But good point, Abby. Good point. He definitely was, like, willing to to knock you out of the dark. Yep. (laughs) Yep, yep. Um, But this is a perfect example of a fight in which neither side is wrong. I totally agree with Abby that she deserves her own agency and she deserves to make her own choices um and I don't like that you know Kane didn't listen to that on the other side of course he's not going to like let her die I would never I mean if I had a loved one who wanted to die and I was in that same situation as Kane zero chance there's zero chance I would have carried them outside of the bunker and left them right and I think that like she didn't even think of it that way when he says to her like did you really expect me to drag your dead your body out of here to let you die like absolutely not that's also really reframing it as like it wasn't about you but it was about me like I could not do that right and I, I think Abby was was being was thinking about this in a selfish way like you took away my choice but she also took away his choice as well because there's no way he could physically do that. I and mean, the guilt that that the, the person would have from doing there's that. There's no way. Um, so I loved this, and I, I think that it really demonstrated that they were both justified in what they did, and mm-hmm. there is no wrong here. Yeah. Jaha tells Octavia that he's almost done. He just needs to connect the final wires, but he won't. 
He knows that she's never felt like she was part of their people, and he doesn't falter for that. He's truly sorry for the way she had to grow up. But like it or not, Sky Crew is Octavia's people, because when she won the Conclave, she saved them too. Um, I really like here that Octavia has been trying to make everyone part of one crew, but as Jaha points out, she still isn't fully behind it herself. She still carries this deep resentment for Sky Crew that is really hard for her to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jaha is the literal, physical manifestation yeah. of that resentment, you yeah. know, and I've, and it's pointed and targeted to him, and I think he's sort of offering himself as a sacrifice for her to just, you know, take it out on me. I am the one you have a problem with. Please don't take it out on the rest of our people. Yeah. This is not about them. This is about me and the decisions that I made that affected you. And I think this is critical for Jaha's story to to feel complete for us. You know, I think this scene between the two of them is the is the, obviously the first time where he has acknowledged the horrible things that he did to her and her family. And it's the first moment where Octavia can really confront this to the person who committed it. And I think that just that interaction alone does something healing for her inside mm-hmm. and, and, and sort of stitches up a wound that has been festering for her entire life yeah um and makes her feel whole in a way that she will would never have been able to and I I really applaud Jaha for recognizing that taking the steps to make sure and ensure that Octavia had the chance to heal from it knowing that he was going to die especially because he knows that she's going to have to lead their people and she wouldn't be able to be strong enough to do it without this this tiny piece of resolution that she was looking and grasping for I totally agree I mean this scene is perfect it's a brilliant scene and it's also just like I would not have felt satisfied if this hadn't happened like if Jaha had died without this confrontation happening and this interaction and this dialogue I would have been I'm not sure if I would have realized what was missing but something would have been missing and I would have it would have been this I've said it before and I'll say it again um, verbal confirmations, uh, verbal apologies are really important to me. And I think we don't, we get a verbal apology here. And I love that Jaha is, is finally telling her, like, I am really sorry for the way you had to grow up. But he's also explaining where he was coming from. Yeah. And although it doesn't make it better, it at least... I, I liked when people put everything out there. I hate when... I hate miscommunication things. It yeah. drives me crazy. Especially in TV because yeah. it feels contrived. Yeah. And, and just just for the sake of drama or melodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, The 100 does a really excellent job of shying away from that trope. And they're usually pretty good at having their characters communicate um, in order to drive the plot forward. And they find other ways of, of creating tension and drama. Yeah. Jaha says that once they open the farm station doors, the grounders will pour in and kill everyone inside, guilty and innocent. But if Octavia can make the grounders stand down and agree to only punish the guilty, he'll send the surge. So this is another amazing character beat for Jaha. You know, we see him protecting the innocents at all costs. Even with the stakes this high, he is doing good guy stuff. Um... Which has not always been the case. I think you can make an argument for why he made the choices that he made, but they have not always been like good guy, clear cut choices. And they are clearly framing him in this way, in this moment. And it's again another example of of the writers making sure that Jaha is likable. Absolutely. But a caveat to that is yes, he is being the good guy, but it's still a good guy for his people. Totally. Um, so I, I think you have to add that just because 
I, I wonder if there were more grounders in there. If maybe they were all grounders if he would feel the same way. Oh, I think it's mostly about Ethan. I think that he's saying they're going to rush in there and slaughter everyone. Ethan's not in there. Oh, you're right. <laughs> but I mean, like, there are children in there. Right. And there are uh, people that he cares about right. in there. Right. Um, no, I, I definitely think it's about him making sure that the people that he loves or the people that he respects and loves and admires and is friends yeah. with stay alive. Which understandable. Which is completely understandable. That doesn't take away from this interaction at all. Octavia doesn't think the grounders will listen, but Jaha tells her to make them listen. But Octavia doesn't believe that she's a leader. In her words, she's a warrior. And as Jaha realizes, a warrior needs a war. And so he gives her a war. Um, and I wanted to read this quote word for word because it's so good. And I mean, it, it just encapsulates why this The Hundred is an amazing show because they're able to do so much with so little. Um, Jaha says, On the Ark, we made death the enemy. That's how we survived. And anyone, who didn't, and anyone who did anything to push us closer to death was eliminated. You hate me because I floated your mother. But when she broke the law, she pushed us closer to death. So she made herself the enemy. And he's, he's just reframing leadership here into these really black and white terms. Like we said, Octavia is a black and white thinker. And in putting it into this context, I think it helps Octavia understand and become comfortable with the idea of leading in a way that she wasn't before. Absolutely. This, this quote is, is Emmy Award level writing. I was, I mean, we were both stunned into silence I mean we we like make audible noises while we're watching this show and I think the two of us who just sat there for like a good two minutes unable to communicate this was mind-blowing we looked at each other a couple of times just being like this is amazing I can't believe what I'm hearing like this is better than anything that I could have anticipated and I have really high expectations for this show and it Mm -hmm. blew me away so kudos to you guys this was unbelievable As Octavia jumps up, furious and close to tears, Jaha tells her, now you know what it takes to lead. He gives her the walkie-talkie, and she says that she'll do it, that she'll try uh, to save everyone inside, and that he should try not to die before she's done. Jaha is so good at reading people. Like, he knows exactly what to say to motivate Octavia and to get her to a place where she can take on this fight and move into her new role. You know, he's super manipulative, um, but he's a genius, and he deserves major props for this move because not only is he pissing Octavia off on purpose by bringing up the fact that he floated her mother um, so that she gets her blood pumping um, and she wants to fight, Um, But he knows that he's sitting there looking like he's dying and she's not going to fight him. And so the very next obvious person or things to go after are the people that he really wants. I mean, like he's literally pissing her. He's like, you know, it's like um, bullfighting. Yeah. Basically like waving a red flag in front of her and then maneuvering her to go and directly take on the grounders outside. And then he also is doing this in a way that connects the dots for her in a really real world way applicable way where she understands the the complexity of these decisions that you have to make for people and while it was unbearable for Octavia to lose her mother Jaha made that decision because of these terms that he's finally explaining to her and it was like it was like her world opened up you know Mm -hmm. it was like a blind person finally seeing yeah I mean in this scene like we've said Jaha is giving Octavia a war and and like like I mentioned earlier, this scene does 
so much with so few words like this one scene is something that Octavia will look back on for the rest of her life as the moment her life changed mm-hmm. um this is what makes her into who she becomes this exact moment yeah and, and in many ways the bunker crew really does owe their survival to Jaha from this moment um of course at what cost but they're still alive yeah yeah, this is a culmination of five seasons worth of Octavia's pent-up resentment and rage towards Jaha coming to a head, and I loved it from start to finish. It was just an amazing character study. We never really got to see them as scene partners, and it actually makes me kind of sad that we're not going to yeah. get to see them as scene partners anymore. I mean, one thing, again, that you can say about Jaha and Isaiah Washington in general is every scene that where he was paired one-on-one with someone was gold. He really shines in these one-on-one scenes with other characters, especially the the younger characters, yeah. the the quote-unquote teens. Yeah. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> yeah, the teens. Yeah. Um but it, it, he's just he's always amazing and and that is that is a level of his performance that I will certainly miss. I agree and I I have to say that while I've had my gripes with him, I've been less irritated with him one he has been with one-on-one versus one he's speaking to a crowd. Yeah, because when he's speaking to a crowd, he, I think you put, maybe you want to talk about this, um, about how he uses his ways of understanding people to put things in context. And when he's with people one-on-one, he's able to kind of understand what they need from him and give it to them. Whereas when he's with a crowd, it's a little bit harder. Yeah, there's like a lot of different people that he needs to service and manipulate and they all are like different personalities and contracting ideas so it's impossible to appease and make yourself available to a crowd of people whereas when you're dealing with one person you just have to deal with that that one person well and he's always more more vulnerable vulnerable (laughs) too when he is with one person he's able to kind of we're able to see a part of jaha that he can't reveal to large groups of people which i've always really liked from him because you know at his core he really is a good person. He wants he wants to, to be do a good, good person. Yeah. Yeah, he wants that's a good. He wants to be a good person. He has good intentions. Yeah. Um it's just the way he goes about them that sometimes fails, but it's problematic. Um but let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> that scene was amazing. Um mind ten, ten. mind blowing. Yeah. Back at the farm, Kane tells Abby that he couldn't bear to lose her. The world was ending, and he thought that he could survive anything as long as she was by his side. But clearly, she wasn't by his side, because she decided that she didn't deserve to survive. Kane knows he never would have had the strength to let her die in prime fire, and he doesn't regret what he did. He asks if she ever regretted opening the door to save him, and Abby, breaking down, says she didn't. They move to kiss, but a pounding on the door stops them. This scene makes me really scared that Abby is going to die this season. You know, in the 100, the greatest asset that you can have to ensure your survival is an actual drive to survive. Mm -hmm. And Abby just does not have this anymore. She's lost it completely. You know, she doesn't deserve, she doesn't think she deserves to live anymore. And without that quintessential drive, I'm not sure she can make it. Yeah, I'm actually much more on the Kane is going to die train. Um, Or maybe they both will, but I, I don't feel like it would just be Abby who dies I do think that her storyline will take a turn and I actually think Kane's storyline is also going to take a turn but take a turn for the worse Hmm. I love this scene I think you know this was obviously the first honest and open conversation that Cabby has had since the bunker closed and it was just heartbreaking and beautiful and it was it was really satisfying to watch I also love this scene and I I love the I mean not the confirmation but the acknowledgement that like of course, Abby wouldn't have sacrificed Kane. Like, if she were in Kane's yeah. position, she wouldn't have done. She she wouldn't have sacrificed him as well. And and, and that's kind of like shows 
She's angry, yes, but she, she wouldn't have made a different choice. And I, I really kind of wondered, too, if Abby's going to have a similar storyline to Jasper this season, but I'm hoping that maybe she'll ultimately choose another path. You know, Jasper kind of got to this point where he didn't want to survive, and I think Abby feels like she doesn't deserve to survive, which are a little bit different, mm-hmm. um, but but similar feelings of depression and not being able to keep going. And I, I really hope that Abby's able to work through her grief and, and move forward, grief and depression and, and move forward um, into something more positive. Yeah, and I'm wondering if when she reunites, if she reunites with Clark, if that might be a, a, a way of, of giving some hope and, and a will to live back yeah. in her life. Cooper tells everyone to ignore the pounding on the door. They have everything they need inside. And she asks the guitar guy to play louder, trying to drown out the sounds of the suffering outside. Jackson sees Cooper's gun in her waistband and wants to grab it, but he hesitates too long and loses his chance. I have never been more relieved for Jackson's hesitancy in my entire life. (laughs) I was so worried that they were going to go through with this plot point, and I was not interested in watching Jackson (laughs) stage a second revolt. I just was terrified they were going to do that. And I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) I'm actually more interested in the fact that Jackson might be the only person on the show to not be capable of violence, even when they're at their most desperate. Like, even to save the one person he might love most, he cannot hurt other people. He cannot be violent. Yeah, Um, I I love that idea. We've seen so many instances of that. It's for my people from everyone on the show, but not from Jackson. He's still he's still pure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it and it does really fit in line with him being a doctor. Yeah. I mean, like he can't hurt anyone. He, yeah. Not only did he take an oath, I think he really prescribes to that mm-hmm. idea, and is a pacifist at heart, like you said. So it just makes perfect sense for him, and I'm I'm really glad they didn't like slaughter his character in this moment. I would have been furious. I wouldn't have thought it was a slaughtering of his character, but it would have definitely been a darker turn that it would have been for him out of character for me, and they would have needed to do a lot of work to justify that later on. I, I just I didn't know what his character would do in this moment when faced with that choice of do I save someone I love or do I like keep to my beliefs um and and he clearly went with keep to my beliefs I could have seen it go either way I I like that he didn't just because I think this is more in line with his true self yeah but. and I think it's an interesting di- you know diversion from what we usually get on this show mm-hmm. which is which is great Gaia and Indra see Octavia approaching the farm station door, and when Indra asks if, she, if it's done, Octavia tells her there's something she needs to do. Octavia stops the grounders, saying that she can open the door. A grounder tells her to do it, then, so they can rid themselves of her honorless people. Octavia says that Sky Crew is her people, but so is everyone else, and that she will take back the farm for one crew, and that includes the innocent people behind the doors. Um, and I wanted to point out here that this grounder calls her Skyripa, um, not commander, not um, champion. It, it's very clear that Octavia is not yet a leader in their eyes. Yeah, and it's also clear that he means this as an insult. Like, yeah. this is a slap in the face. Well, and Skyripa is, like, basically assassin from the sky. Right. Um, and, and is there honor for them in, in assassinations? I don't think so. No. Um, you know, there's maybe necessity, but not honor. And so that is kind of a way to like say like you're not good enough to lead us right and and it's disrespectful yeah um and and octavia too is clearly internalizing what jaha just told her she's saying these are my people i'm declaring it now you're all my people and i will fight for you but i will also fight you if need be yeah she came around to jaha's way of thinking 
quickly. Real quickly. <laughs> uh, the grounder attacks, but Octavia kills him. Indra wants to help, but Gaia says that she needs to do this herself. Octavia tells the grounders that they are one crew, or they are the enemy of one crew, and they need to choose. More grounders attack, and as she keeps repeating the line and killing all who oppose her, until finally the remaining grounders all kneel before her and officially accept her as their leader. Um, iconic scene. Yeah. This is amazing. Scene. Classic The Hundred. It was brilliant and perfect in every way, and it was badass. Is <laughs> really the only other way to describe <laughs> it. Um, again, interesting to note the difference between the way Indra views Octavia and the way Gaia does. You know, like I said before, Indra is really incapable of of realizing all of Octavia's potential. She's so busy worrying about her that she cannot give her her complete agency either. While Gaia, you know, I think she sees it all too clearly now. She has come all the way around and is really using Octavia the most that she can get out of her. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to call out, like the last episode, there is another excellent use of a heartbeat noise here. Well, Octavia is killing every every of them, every one of them, one by one, <laughs> and it's not just the heartbeat, but her heartbeat is so steady yeah. as she's as she's murdering them all. I think it, it it's really kind of leading us into another phase of Octavia, the phase that we'll see at the end of of episode one and this episode that like cold ice. impassive ice queen yeah yeah <laughs> she's just a badass in this scene it's it was kind of remarkable like I can't get over it yeah um even if it's still odd to me that she can fight and beat all of these seasoned warriors after just like learning to fight a few months ago but I still love it like I love that she's that good and I just choose yeah, to she's believe just that a prodigy. She's, she's a prodigy she's like a natural born killing machine she's a natural born <laughs> killer they made a movie out of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm also super glad that she killed that first guy because his acting was terrible. That was really bad. It was awful. And the second time I watched it too, it just like stuck out to me. It was just like, oh my God, you're terrible and you need to die. <laughs> Luckily, you did. <laughs> right away. Right away. Uh, Octavia calls Jaha over the radio and tells him that it's over and asks him to open the door. He does. And as the grounders storm in, Octavia orders that they only take the guilty and she wants them alive. Cooper runs into Kane's room and considers shooting them, but ultimately can't and ends up turning the gun on herself. But before she can pull the trigger, Octavia knocks the gun out of her hands by throwing her knife, because it won't be that easy. Um, Cooper still isn't able to kill her people in this scene. That will change in a moment, but yeah. that's like an interesting kind of flip to me here in yeah. this moment that she can't kill even though she's got nothing to lose I wonder if it's because she knows that Abby is a doctor and she doesn't want the rest of her people to suffer but she can't live with this so that's she... a good idea but Kane's not she could right. have shot Kane right I, I, I would that's like a very logical interpretation I'm not sure that's what it's actually happening but it's a possibility yeah um, this is another moment where we see um, a character contemplating suicide, and I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I really do appreciate the show revisiting this as often as it does because these situations are traumatic. They are terrifying. They are overwhelming, and most people would not be able to handle them, and I, I really respect that the show is dedicated to showing this is a real possibility for many people many characters the show's a tragedy I mean as as the writers have said many times the show is tragedy um and awful things happen yeah yeah and it's not like it's not realistic for characters to just have these things happen and and go around their business about their business hunky-dory like everything is fine yeah like I would take serious offense to that yeah 
Cain and Abby find Jaha, and Abby discovers that Jaha's liver was perforated. Jaha tells Abby that she can't fix him this time. Cain wants Jaha to fight, but Octavia thinks his fight is over. Jaha asks Octavia to promise that she'll take care of Ethan, and she gives her word. Then Jaha asks Cain for the last rites. He wants to go home to his wife and to Wells. As Cain recites the prayer, Jaha dies. God damn it. This scene was <laughs> so powerful. I openly wept and shocked myself in the process. I, I could not believe I was crying over Jaha dying. I still can't believe it. I've made it super clear that I do not like him. Um, but as I said, this this episode did a great job of reframing his character in a way that made his death impactful and meaningful and not just feel like a relief that he's off the show like a lot of us, I think, felt. And they did this masterfully. This was executed brilliantly. I am I'm endlessly impressed. I'm actually surprised I didn't cry the first time I watched this. I think you were in shock. I was. I mean, like, I knew it was going to happen, but it was just, like, hard to take everything in. Um, This episode had just so much in it, and it was, you know, so fast-paced that I was still trying to to process everything. But the second time I watched it, I definitely cried. She was, like, also (laughs) openly weeping. We we just took turns. I was like, I've I've already processed my grief, and now I can look at you going through this again. It was really rough. I I know a lot of people – saw on Twitter and online a lot of people cried during this and I think it's a testament to the writing absolutely how good they a job they did at making Jaha feel significant I mean first off he mentioned Wells who I still love and now probably will never be mentioned on this show again um but second I really just love their their last right prayer um I think it's beautiful I love the whole thing um, and I love the sentiment behind it. It kind of reminds me of Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. when Dumbledore is talking. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. <laughs> that was a lot of stuff yeah. happening. <laughs> when Gandalf is talking to Pippin um, in the third movie, kind of during the fight at um, Gondor, um, he's talking about death being kind of a journey to white shores. And I feel like this this prayer um, also kind of signifies that death just being the next journey. Maybe meet again, as as they say. Yeah. Um, and I also love that Octavia says, maybe we, meet, maybe we meet again, just because, you know, I, I don't think she's ever really participated in Sky Crew tradition. And in this moment, Sky Crew is her people, and she's able to kind of give yeah. him that in his last moment. Yeah, she's able to put aside all of her anger and her resentment and her bitterness and really recognize what he needs what he needs and also what he what he brought yeah to her and to her life even for all for all the terrible things that he did you know it's it's undeniable that he had a significant impact on her life and who she has become now and I think she in this moment really recognizes that and and is paying homage to it and she understands now what it takes sometimes yeah, I think she the really choices you have to make she really relates to him and really understands him it was beautiful yeah I am very concerned about Ethan though <laughs> um I'm very concerned about him being raised by Octavia I think you and I both looked at each other <laughs> you're like yikes it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a little murder child yeah I'm really worried about him I it's I'm not both, good I'm both worried and incredibly excited for him and Maddie to meet because there's they're going to definitely become friends or enemies it could go either way um but they I think will be very different yeah children. I mean we'll get into this a little bit more when we're talking about the end of the episode with Gaia as well but like I'm terrified for him to be this like novitiate fanatic crazy person I'm I'm like really scared yeah I am too but also excited <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just like gonna keep going more scared <laughs> um so 
now that we have Jaha's full story arc in view, I kind of want to discuss for a second why he is such a disliked character. You know, what is it about Jaha's crimes that are worse than any other characters? Because thinking about it realistically, every character has done horrible things in the name of keeping my people alive. Mm. Most characters, not Jackson. <laughs> um, and after after season three, you know, with, with Jaha being um, under Ali's influence spell. the whole time spell I, I was very confused about where they were taking jaha's arc um and all through season four i think i i kind of thought they were going in a different direction than they actually did which is why i think a lot of my an hour really points from last season were kind of off base um in terms of who jaha is what he wants what he's doing um but now that i'm able to to see it as a whole it's suddenly much more clear to me i i gotta admit it's not super clear to me still i am very hard on him but it's in part because i have never really understood what the show wanted him to do as term as as far as his function and i i don't i don't know i don't i don't quite it's not quite clear to me still I think for me, my way of looking at Jaha's character now, seeing everything, um, is that Jaha was willing to do whatever it took to save his people. And a lot of times, the things that he did didn't feel justifiable to us. And I was trying to figure out why, like what makes Jaha and Clark different. And for me, I think it has to be the fact that Clark still feels guilt and... and um, maybe regret for the things that she's done whereas Jaha it hasn't quite seemed that way he doesn't seem to feel that same guilt yeah um, and I do think now looking at it I, I really do think that the choices Jaha made on the arc changed him I think he became kind of I don't want to say the worst version of himself but I think he lost a lot of his soul and having to you know kill his best friend and having to call um 300 people he's had to make all the decisions before this show practically got off the ground before they before they got on the ground <laughs> so to speak um so he's already kind of become that that the darkness inside and he he's he's lost a lot of that ability to, to process the things that he's done whereas Clark we're just seeing her starting off in season one for her decisions and as we kind of keep going you know she becomes more and more desensitized to it until season five where she's like animals kill I kill whatever you know and I'm still curious how that's going to play out but that's kind of how I see the difference and why people might sympathize more with Clark than Jaha even if they're making the same kinds of decisions yeah I think that's a good point I I think the show is more dedicated to making Clark more sympathetic for us because mm -hmm. they they give her moments to grieve they give her moments to to mourn who she used to be before she had to make these like difficult choices and the soul that she might be losing along the way and we never got a moment from Jaha where we see him being tortured over these decisions or grieving these decisions um and I agree that it's probably because he's become desensitized to this at this point but he's his desensitization for me wasn't satisfying to watch and it made him a difficult character to like um or respect honestly like I and I didn't understand that if if he if he was past the point of no return what is he still doing on this show wh whose like entire question of moral complexity 
is this question, you know, teasing this out when he seems to have like gone completely numb. And it's it's not I feel like they had a, a vision for him that is is being realized in this episode, but I'm not sure that they did a perfect job executing it throughout the series and that is that's it's still a little like fuzzy. I completely agree and I think Looking at it in terms of seasons, you know, I think Jaha was at his most um, sympathetic in season one, where yeah. we were able to, like, really see him processing those, processing those emotions. Um, I think the episode where he had to push the button to, to call the, the people on the arc, um, we, we saw how, what kind of toll that took on him yeah. in a way that we never really saw much again. Um, season two, after he's lost Wells, he goes on a very dark path of doing whatever it takes to save his people, even if... It means like hurting other people along the way, throwing people off the boat, throwing the, people off to the, the boat. shrieking eels. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at the end, he gets to Allie, and then in season three, he's under her spell the whole time, and he is really unpalatable in that season. He's he's just it's hard to watch him, and it's impossible to sympathize with him. Um, but that actually turns out just to be because he's basically brainwashed, right? And so in season four kind of not having the context of what they really wanted to do with him. I I was having a hard time following his arc, but now it does seem like they wanted him to feel a lot of remorse for what he brought to everyone with Ali um, and trying his best to find a way to fix that by looking for the bunker. I agree with you that I don't think it was executed as well as it could have been. I think it could have been much clearer to the audience. Yeah. um, Especially, I think, after... Sorry to cut you off. No, good, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I think coming out of season three when he was brainwashed as you said we needed I needed to see like a stark behavior contrast and he was his behavior his his personality was almost the same yeah it you could it was very hard to tell the difference between brainwashed Jaha and Jaha Jaha and that made him really unlikable and I think they should have made it much clearer through his actions through his his language through his diction you know that he has his own personhood back and it just didn't work well yeah I, I really do think season four is where they went a little bit off with Jaha. yeah I think if they had like really focused on his redemption story last season um it, it would have been much clearer to us yeah but I think I think that they tried to do that I don't think it was completely successful no I agree um but that's kind of where we stand I still do. I've always respected him, and I am sorry to lose that character. Um, I know you're not maybe the same I'm, way. I'm, I'm feeling better about it. I'm not sorry to lose him, but I'm very happy with where we ended up, and yeah. I'm glad that this episode and everything that they did for him and his character um, happened Yeah, because I, I think it, it works really well. Yeah. So moving on. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to end the Jaha topic yeah. for good. <laughs> Octavia is crying in her office when Indra comes in, telling her that her people are waiting justice and offering to help Octavia clean the blood off. But Gaia stops them. Indra says that if she dares say that the spirits of the commanders object, then she should remind Gaia that the spirits have abandoned them. But Gaia doesn't believe that they have. Only a commander can unite the clans, but Octavia won the, con- won the conclave, delivering them from Prime Fire, to say that she delivered them from starvation, and Gaia now believes that Octavia will deliver them back to the ground. Yeah, I'm not a religious person at all, but what Gaia is just so full of conviction here that whatever she is selling, I am buying. Um, <laughs> this is an epic scene. I just, wow. I, uh, you know, Gaia's religious fanaticism here actually really scares me. That kind of 
of you know blind faith has always been terrifying to me um yeah and I didn't quite realize the power of her convictions last season I don't think she was quite in the story enough for me to kind of understand the clout that she held um and the weight that her opinion would carry among the clans and I I really am worrying now about what guy is capable of and where she's heading doesn't seem to be a direction that I like no no it's scary I was just gonna say like her interest and her like pure allegiance to Octavia after you know her staunch you know denial of her at the beginning of this episode you know this 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 really dramatic flip is is suspicious yeah and it's scary um that somebody could flip on their beliefs like this so quickly yeah um and it it does not forebode for good things (laughs) Uh, Indra tells Octavia that she'll need clean armor, but Gaia tells them to leave it to let the people see her like this. The blood of their enemies is now Octavia's armor. And we get this really great shot of um, Gaia and Octavia looking in the mirror and Indra behind them looking very nervous. Yeah, she's worried about this. And Jason said in an interview recently that Indra is going to have to, by the end of the season, kind of come to terms with what she's created in Octavia. And I have always wanted to see that. From from season four, there was a moment um, when Octavia was going through her little Sky Ripa phase yeah, that I really, thought, I really thought Indra was worried about her, but that didn't really kind of come into play as much as I thought it would. Yeah, it didn't play out fully. But I think here, once Octavia becomes Blood Reina, as we'll see in a second, um, I, I, th- I think that Indra's really going to have to take a step back and be like, what have I done? What have I done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gaia, too. I mean, she made Gaia as yeah. well. Well, and- that I'm a little bit more confused about. I, I, I don't know. I don't think Gaia got this fanaticism from her. I think that no. Indra did used to be more religious, but she wasn't this level. No, but Gaia is a product of Indra. And I think Gaia pushing Octavia further down this path is just another ripple of of all of the consequences of Indra coming into Octavia's life. I mean, in many ways, maybe Gaia is kind of the opposite of a product of Indra. Maybe Indra didn't have enough of a hand in raising Gaia, and this is who Gaia's become, yeah. and now she's kind of has to deal with it. Right. You know, um, I think there is probably going to be a lot of guilt and confusion with Indra about the way she raised Gaia and their relationship and the effects that it has on Octavia. Yeah. Nathan and Jackson find each other and hug. When Jackson tells him that he tried to stop the takeover but couldn't, Miller says that Jackson is a healer, not a fighter, and that's why he loves him. They kiss. Yeah, I'm still irritated by their complete lack of chemistry. You know, I do like that they let Miller have this beautiful insight into Jackson's character. That's that's really nice. Um, I just, I wish that it translated better with their performances. I did not, I just don't think it works. We've had this... I don't want to call it a complaint, but a note about Jared Joseph's performances and romances before. I have seen him with Brian, and I've seen him now with Jackson, and I just don't believe him no. in these relationships. Um, both Kane and Abby and Nyla and Octavia had more chemistry to me in glances in this episode than Miller and Jackson had in a kiss. There's just something about... I don't want to rag on Jared Joseph because I think he's a great actor. I just... There's something about... Um, him in like a romantic role that he doesn't it doesn't just it doesn't ring true to me no it's like he's not he's not emoting yeah um he's like going through the actions without putting the emotional weight behind it which is a problem when you're acting (laughs) you have to connect I mean it's a problem I mean like there are a lot of ships on tv that I have this same complaint but not 
really that many ships in the hundred that I have the same complaint. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting um, juxtaposition. I, I, I just want more chemistry from their performance. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's really as simple as that. And it's the, I'm just not getting it. And maybe we will get it more later on when we kind of see them continuing on in their relationship. Um, I hope we do. But that's kind of where I sit right now. Yeah. I mean, and this has come up before. So yeah. there's very little evidence to support that it will get better. I hope that it will. Maybe like once they settle into their relationship. I, like we've only seen um, Miller, Jared Joseph with Brian for like two episodes. So maybe once, you know, he's been in a relationship on screen with the character for a certain amount of time, they'll be a little bit more comfortable in their um, reactions with each other and in their interactions. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I have well, to hope. We'll have to see. Uh, all the guilty are put in the rotunda, and not just Sky Crew who took over Farm Station, but any bunker member who has broken the rules in the last 46 days. Octavia comes out covered in blood and tells everyone that there are too many people in the bunker, and that if they don't do something about it, none of them will survive. Octavia won't let that happen. Nyla looks worried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's worried. I don't think she's seen this quite side of Octavia yet. I think or at least Octavia, not this drastic. Yeah, yeah Octavia's like had her darker moments but this this definitely her covered in blood and 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 her kind of entire countenance right now is just it's dark it's shocking (laughs) I mean it's meant to be shocking and I think Nyla is not as desensitized to this stuff as all of the other grounders and sky crew are and she's looking at it like we're looking at it this is bad (laughs) (laughs) Octavia says they've all committed crimes against one crew and the punishment is death when a grounder complains that one of his clans just stole blankets while Sky Crew stole food, Octavia says there is only one crew and the enemies of one crew. But this isn't the Ark, and this isn't the ground. There's no floating. There is no blood must have blood. In Rome, the gladiators could fight for their freedom, and Octavia throws a sword into the rotunda, telling them that it's conclave rules, win the fight, save your life. And with barely a moment's hesitation, Cooper picks up the sword and takes them all out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you're going to disagree with me. I actually think that this is a really interesting solution to the population problem. And I'm kind of really impressed that Octavia came up with something so creative. I think this is really smart. I I do think it's smart, but I, I more so feel like instead of Octavia coming up with it, I think she has really taken in everything she's learned recently and synthesized it. And this is kind of the logical output that, that came to her. Um, so I see that a, a little bit more clinically than you do, I think. Yeah. But I do, I mean, I mean what could a, they do? It is a solution. <laughs> it's a solution. It's a solution that I think a lot of the grounders, most of them probably would get behind because it's much more in line with their forms of justice. Um, but it still is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Dark? Horrifying? Yeah. <laughs> Awful? Um. <laughs> And this is just the beginning because, like, as we'll see here in a minute, too, Cooper wins this fight. And then at some point in the next six years, she has become Octavia's, like, right-hand woman. She's standing right beside the throne. Um, and Cooper specifically terrifies me because she very clearly has strong ideals that, you know, she wouldn't kill her own people. And yet, you know, you throw a sword down at her and say, fight for your life. And, like, Without blinking, pretty much, she is, like, grabbing that sword and murdering everyone, including the people she just fought alongside. Um, yeah, so someone is... who can who can turn on a dime like that, I, 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 it really scares me. And I wonder how loyal she really could be to Octavia right now if it comes down to Octavia 
and and um bunker crew and survival you know what's gonna win yeah i don't know she's she's a scary woman we flash forward six years and we're back at the fight we saw at the end of last episode everyone is cheering the man below who has won the fight ethan all grown up is also cheering but gaia stops him saying that one crew novitiates don't cheer death yeah, this is a tiny moment at the end, but it's actually the most concerning moment for me. I mentioned this a little earlier. Gaia clearly has replaced her old flamekeeper religion with this new Wankru religion, but with the same zealotry. Um, and the way that this show interacts with religion has always been interesting to me, especially since the grounder religion was never purely based on faith. It, you know, it was derived from Becca's science, and they had the flame as like a physical proof of their belief, so it wasn't only just you know like what we consider like faith now which mm-hmm. is just you know these sort of like stories that we have been told are true um and I don't know this like, it just doesn't apply to this new situation like I don't understand how Gaia can continue to treat this new religion with the same import and divinity when they basically invented it like five minutes ago yeah, I don't actually think Gaia is looking at this as a new religion, um, like as an invention of a religion. I, I think that Gaia truly believes that the spirits of the commander have chosen Octavia, even if she's not a nightblood. And I think that Gaia thinks that her religion has kind of evolved to fit this new um, way of living, not so much changed, if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. So I, I, I still am interested in seeing what being a, a novitiate of one crew entails yeah because like I'm, they're not they don't have the flame anymore at this point at right. least we don't know what right exactly so basically what what are the tenets of this religion what are the stakes oh my god i just had like a thought what if one of the Allegius members wants to take the flame to have like the computer mind in them they're all my bloods oh i hate that <laughs> why would you no say i do that? i want to use it to take the flame <laughs> Oh, God, no. <laughs> I'm just really worried about Ethan, you guys. I'm I'm so scared for him. I am also worried, but you excited to I see know him you're excited. <laughs> uh, As they drag the bodies out, Gaia comes to stand by Octavia and asks her what the champion's fate is. Octavia considers, then lifts her hand, pardoning him. They all cheer, and Gaia tells them to bring in the next combatants. And as a new group comes in, we discover that Kane is among them. And oh my God, what has Kane done? What have like, you done? What have you done? <laughs> I, 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 there's a part of me because we see Octavia looking at him, and a lot of people online thought that she looked um, like disgust, disgusted, or, or hate, like hateful. sneering at yeah. him. Yeah, I looked at that so many times. I still am kind of in between her being disgusted and hating him, but also her being fearful for him and trying to hide it i think it could go either way she's probably disgusted just knowing how she's changed um and there's a part of me that wonders if kane tried to overthrow her um possible i don't know what else he could have done but i guess we'll see uh i also love that her new title is blood blood queen uh definitely fitting yes (laughs) yes apropos um, and one more note, too. It seems like a lot of the combatants want to be there. So I, I wonder, is this fighting pit now an option? Like, are are people just allowed to choose to fight in here um, for, you know, their own honor? Or are people actually having to commit crimes now just to be thrown in this pit to test their, their worth? Yeah, I don't know. I It is interesting to note because it feels like a real, you know, 
ring fight mm-hmm. where there are um like volunteers yeah and it also feels like there's like bets going on like people have clear favorites yeah I it's a really interesting development I'm not really sure how how all of this played out but I'm sure we will get more info on it I'm really looking forward to it and if it's the latter with them committing crimes just to be thrown in this pit like what has that done to one crew you know like what what's the cost of that right right and that is like a a consequence that I don't think Octavia would have foreseen mm-hmm. but is something that she would have to reckon with yeah um, this scene was also just an, an amazing cliffhanger to end on and a really good way of reminding us that even though this episode felt like its own complete story with its own arc, beginning, middle, and end, you know, we have a long way to go. This is just the beginning. Yeah. You know, we are at the very beginning of this season and we're going to tie it all back together in the next episode. I will say overall, I'm a little disappointed that there was no cannibalism. Still holding out hope. <laughs> I it It's going to happen. I still... I feel like it could. It's less likely to me once they're outside the bunker, but at we maybe we I don't know. We still haven't heard everything that went on inside the bunker, so right. We'll I see. mean, like we don't know what happened in the yeah. last six years. So, do we want to talk about our favorite scenes? Yeah, we actually have two. We both of us basically wanted the same two, and we couldn't decide who got what. So we're just gonna do both. Yeah, we're just gonna do both. So I'm gonna talk about and and again, like these are both of our favorite scenes. So I'll do one. She'll do the other. Our fav- one of our favorite scenes was the scene where Octavia really becomes Bloodrina as she single-handedly takes out every single one of the warriors on the ground um, as she's trying to get to the door. And this was just an epic scene. It was dramatic and satisfying, and Marie did such a fantastic job. We know she loves to do stunt work like this and fight scenes, and you could just tell that she gave this her all. She was committed, and it was it was amazing and beautifully done yeah I absolutely loved this scene um our favorite line from this scene is you are one crew or you're the enemy of one crew choose and it it just really it's such an iconic line it's one of those lines that's gonna stick in your mind like long after the show is over you know there's a few lines in this show that I will probably never forget no and this is one of them yeah I Um, mean and the way that they just repeated it over and it was like a chant yeah it was amazing. Um, our other favorite scene is, of course, the epic scene where Octavia and Jaha were talking in the generator room about, you know, how to be a leader and the sacrifices a leader must make. Um, it was so succinct, and yet it accomplished so much in terms of character arcs and dynamics. And I would actually go as far to say this is probably one of my favorite scenes of the entire show. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. This was fantastic, and I loved every single thing about it, mm-hmm. especially the line, now you know what it takes to lead, because that's that perfectly encapsulates everything that has happened in this in this scene and all of the 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 importance um, that has just passed between Jaha and Octavia and what it means for their dynamic moving forward and, and how it affects the rest of the episode. Yeah, and how, yeah, what it means for Octavia as her life continues. Moves forward. Now she does know what it takes it to leave. It is genius. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to next week's episode preview. The next episode is called Sleeping Giants. And I love the thought that this kind of calls to mind the prisoners or the or the guards, maybe, who are in the cryogenic tanks on Allegiage. Um, the, the literal definition of a sleeping giant is one that has great but unrealized or newly emerging power. Um, so my question for you is, who do you think this is alluding to? 
Um, I think that the superficial, literal answer is the Allegis Mining Crew, but I also think that it's a broader reminder that it's been six years of relative peace and all of our heroes are kind of awakening, so to speak, and have a lot of potential that's yet to be realized this season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, as as we all know, the 100 titles almost always have multiple meetings, and I 100% believe this title is also referencing one character in particular who might be just coming into their power. Um, an obvious choice would be Octavia, but I'm not really so sure. And there's part of me that wonders if it could maybe be referring to Maddie in some way. Yeah, I was actually thinking that too. Or maybe Clark as like her new this yeah. new version of Clark maybe or, or Bellamy or Bellamy that's what I'm saying yeah I mean like it could be anyone but but I do think it will be like kind of focused on one character in particular but I guess we will see um because this has been a, an exceptionally long episode it's we should wrap up exceptionally we're gonna wrap up <laughs> that's our episode if you'd like to get in contact with us you can you can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com that's s-k-a-i-c-a-s-t kru at gmail.com you can also tweet at us at skycast you can also tweet at us on our own twitter accounts i am at b perlman 89 and i am at sarah r mccabe so thank you for joining us on skycast as always and we will see you next week goodbye bye bye